You're listening to the Overcast. Sunshine on a cloudy day. Part of the Oversoul Gaming Channel. Hello there, everyone, and welcome to the Overcast, your joke-making, fun-having pop culture podcast. I am your host, Justin, a.k.a. Oversoul. And I am your co-host, Nick, a- Nick, a.k.a. The Vaping Queen. Wow, words are hard today. Yes, and like always, we're bringing you sunshine and illiteracy on a cloudy day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, you know, it actually has been kind of sunny lately. The weather's been really nice for it being winter. I gotta, I can't lie. Yeah. Um, no, it's the, the last couple of days, it's... Today, what? Today, not so much because it was a little cold out. But yesterday, oh my god, it was. Oh. Yes. Man. So, uh, so tell me nice. because, as usual, it feels like you know it's been a couple of weeks because it has. So uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, tell me how have you been enjoying these nice days lately, and well, all your days <laughs> lately. Uh spending it inside actually <laughs> sounds about right yeah i i've i've become a bit of a hermit hey you know what nothing wrong with that nothing wrong with that no but, uh, no definitely not but uh what's new anything uh, worth mentioning i was gonna say as of this recording, uh, it's been maybe about a week or so now, maybe two weeks since Sarah had, uh, since she renewed her, uh, uh, re- well, re-upped her, um, um, season tickets for the Iowa Wild. And this time around, she has added me for prepping for my eventual move out to Iowa once I'm able to transfer with my job. So we'll have tickets to each and every game. Oh wow. And with the okay. and with the pack with the package that she did, she uh we each of us Y'all know I'm an Ice Hogs fan. Y'all know I'm an Ice Hogs fan. I told her I will wear it. It'll be rare, but I will wear it with the package that she got. She got the VIP, the whole season, the whole season, whole season, season tickets. Her and I are each getting a custom Iowa Wild jersey. Oh, okay. Yes. I can't imagine that season passes are cheap, so they should definitely throw something extra in there for sure. They're about a hundred and fifty dollars a month, I think. It was the, is the, yeah, that's <clears throat> that's that's a hundred and fifty dollars a month, and I am like helping her out with part of it as well, since oh, okay. she added she since she added me to it. I was gonna say, woo, a hundred fifty a month, big wolf. Mm. Right, dude. It's dude. It's um. <laughs> it's like- like what Com- Comcast charges for good internet, <laughs> right, dude? I'm 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 excited, I'm excited. 
Anything else? Nothing that I... Well, work's been pretty decent. Um, I just got a, a Bluetooth speaker, so instead of um, listening to music or... Pod, well, listening to music or podcasts on my Bluetooth... Uh, on my AirPods, what I've been doing is I've been, like... I have this Bluetooth speaker that... It's like a... It's basically the size of a really tall pop can. Okay. Um, and I what I do is I I I, sh- I I put it in my hoodie pocket and listen to music while I'm working, and I've actually been working a lot like quicker and sufficient since switching to the uh, the speaker. Fair enough. All I know is I find I focus on the, on the task I'm doing better if I'm listening to a podcast than with music lately. Music is... Whew, music has become more of a relaxed time thing for me lately than it has a work time thing for me. I find that mm-hmm. if I'm working or doing chores, I'm using that time to catch up on my backlog of shows. Like if I'm doing the dishes, I'm watching a show at the same time. But, like, I also find that the podcasts, for some reason, pass the time faster than music does for me. And I think it's because Mm -hmm. so many of them run run upwards of, like, you know, 30 minutes to two and a half hours. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it's that's probably why, because they are passing a lot of time. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's. uh, Yeah, yeah. uh, but I can also understand how some people, like, when you're listening to a podcast, you are trying to focus on the words they're saying. And I can understand how for mm-hmm. some people, it could be difficult to do that and try to communicate with a coworker. Or whatever. But if you're working a mostly independent job, like when I was doing janitorial stuff, then it's, you know, that's fine at that point. Yeah, no, they, they've they been having me, instead of in, like, the singular truck, uh, they've had me working two different trucks that are like right next to each other. Same amount of work that it was in the in the, in the singular truck, but I've been for the most part been working by myself. Okay, yeah. Um, but like, yeah, when I was a janitor, I was like mostly by myself in like. You know, there would be sections of the, like, sections of the night, because there was four of us in that building total, but there would be some parts of the night where I wouldn't see anyone for hours, you know. Damn, okay. The the building was so big, and we were all in our own areas, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, remember, I was, like, cleaning locker rooms and stuff a lot, too, so, you know, it was a very very quiet job for me and of course you know i'm sitting here cleaning empty dark locker rooms in the middle of the night in an empty school while listening to a podcast review horror movies <laughs> you know because that's just the kind of person i am right. I, live, I like to live i like to live on the edge mm-hmm. <laughs> no no i'm not that easily spooked by stuff i um I recently applied for a janitorial job at the hospital for third shift. So, oh, there you go. So clearly, yeah, waiting to hear back from them, see how that goes. But uh, otherwise, yeah, because the job I'm currently working isn't giving anyone any hours, really. You know, and they're n- not enough to not enough to pay the bills anyway. <laughs> there you are. Right. They cut everyone's hours way 
too much because they didn't make the amount of money they thought they were going to make, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you'll but, have to uh, let me know how that, uh, how that goes with the, with the, um, with the whole hospital janitor, janitor thing. Yeah, yeah, I'm hoping, I'm hoping it fall, uh, goes through, but we'll see. Uh, I, I, I'm not putting all my eggs in one basket, though. There are other places I'm looking into as well, so. There you go. Um, kind of hoping for that one, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, Otherwise, I've just been filling the void by, I don't know, there haven't been a lot of, I mean, it's just now February at the time of recording this, and there haven't been a lot of big new releases that have come out this year so far in terms of, you know, much of anything, really. Um, right. Media, media in general, not just games. But I've been, spent so I've been spending some time catching up on ye old backlog and, you know, doing a little bit of nostalgia diving. So mm-hmm. I, like... Recently went back uh, and um, replayed all the Batman Arkham games, just got the itch for it and decided to do that. And, uh, man, they still hold up, I tell you what, they still do. Um, I believe I'll it. dive into... I'll dive into them more in the topic because I forgot to mention to folks, by the way, uh, yeah, this episode's topic is going to be, if you couldn't tell by the title, uh, uh, the greatest stories ever told. We're going to be talking about what both we and the general public consider to be some of the absolute best narratives in different forms of media, you know, and what makes them so good, you know? Yeah. Um, so this, this, it won't just be talking about stuff that's like popular just cause it's, you know, cause it is or whatever. Um, but things that really went above and beyond with the storytelling, you know, or like revolutionized storytelling in a way. So, um, we'll be talking about that, but yeah, that's what I've been, that's what I've been up to mostly. Not really, uh, yeah, I can't think of anything particularly new or interesting that's happened, uh, lately. So I, um. I haven't really seen or hung out with anyone lately, although I, I do believe I will be seeing you again here soon within the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're going to work. Sarah and I, when she comes into town on Sunday, we're going to try and stop by uh, sometime during the day on Monday uh, the 12th. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then... um. After I finished the Arkham games, I was still I still had a bit of the Batman bug, and part of it too was I was replaying them because I was trying to refresh my my memory of the story for the upcoming for the Suicide Squad game that came out today, at the time of recording this, but because um, it is in that universe. But uh, after I finished them, I was still itching for a little more Batman, so like I uh, went on. Um, I think it was Amazon Prime and started oh. watching the the Batman animated series, the original one from the nineties. Uh, okay, that and it still holds up to me. It is some of the best performances of Batman and Joker as you know Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill, which mm. are the same are the same ones who voiced them in the Batman Arkham games. So that's probably another reason why it's so good. Um, mm. So yeah. Uh, so I went back and started watching that from the beginning. They got pretty much all the episodes on both Amazon Prime and HBO Max. So decided go. to go to go back and check it out. And yeah, man, it's a a real uh, 
real nostalgia trip. I uh, I've been okay. enjoying it so far, but um, yeah. Um, yeah, I think yeah, that pretty much that 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 pretty much covers it. I haven't really had a whole lot going on. Just you know those things. I think I uh, yeah. Um, Still working on my replay of the. I'm almost done with my replay of the Remedy uh, games too. Like I'm finishing up my replay of Control, and then you know. There you go. Since I just since I just played Alan Wake two, I'm not going to replay that one again. Right. Already, but um, like I I, I've already played it three times. I played it once initially. I played it once for recording my replay, and then I played through the final draft mode as well to get all the extra content. So. Right. Um, um, that's uh, like I, I beat that game. I've beaten that game a full three times, and it came out last October. So okay. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I'm I'm good on any more now for now. But they did recently update that game. They added an update patch that lets you do level select now. So mm-hmm. you know anyone. And the whole reason they added it is because people were begging them to add it so that they could all go back and replay the Old Gods of Asgard level with the musical performance. Because that's that's what it is. That's what it's for. People, Because people kept saying, I have a separate save file at the beginning of that level just so I can go back and replay it a bunch. Right. So, so yes. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, well, earlier today, well, I'll talk about it a little bit later, but earlier today I did a live stream that you watched. Yes. Uh, that I enjoyed. And uh, I know you've been watching my playthrough of Bendy and the Dark Revival. I don't yes. think you've seen the latest, I don't think you've seen the latest episode yet, but I know not you've yet. been watching it. Not yet. No, I have not watched the fifth episode yet. Not quite yet. I will probably watch that tomorrow before I go to work. I put out the funniest clip from that episode publicly, by the way, the one where the cat has a reaction to my jump scare. It was great. Um, I miss that cat, Luna. She was great, but um, she found her forever home now, so. Yeah. I'm happy for that, you know. Um, But, uh, yeah, some great, great jump scare reactions in that game, so. Um... All right. Well, yeah, that more or less does it for the life updates. Then seems like neither one of us had a whole lot going on lately. No, no, <laughs> but, no you know, not really. It do be like that sometimes, though. Yeah, it do. <laughs> All right, then. Well, off to the media corner, then. Yes. Welcome, everyone, to the Media Corner. Extra, extra, read all about it. The place reserved for news, reviews, and recommendations. And so, I um, I believe we have a little bit of all three today, and the uh, uh, Nick here is going to mm-hmm. go first. Yes, I'm going to rip off the Band-Aid first, and uh, I'm going to talk about Ted. Ooh. I finished Ted over the uh, in, in the last few. I, mean, I think it was last week that I finished it. Just to be clear, you mean I, the, um, the new the series on Peacock, not the old movie? Yes, the sh- yes the show on the show on Peacock. It I liked it, but I have some caveats. 
I see what you mean when you said uh, that there's a lot of distasteful jokes in it that wouldn't hold up to to today's uh, society. There was a lot of like cringe. There was a lot of cringe in this show, like just from the jokes. Yeah, it's very cringe. I don't but, even I don't even think it's so much about the tastelessness of some of the jokes. It's just the fact that they don't land. It would be better if the jokes yeah. actually, actually landed, but they don't land is the problem. See, right. See now, I um It's very juvenile. I went into this and not not in the yes. not not in the South Park way where it can get away with it. It's like no. Un- it's like uncomfortable to watch at times. Yes. Like but I hmm it the is da- classic. The, the dad is, is a classic. bleeding asshole. <laughs> like a racist, a bigot, yeah. and an asshole. And I love Scott Grimes. That's the voice of Steve from American Dad, by the way. He's also in the Orville as one of the uh, the crew members. But ooh, man, he is a bad person in this show. <laughs> I like, I could see how this show would be hard to watch for someone who's been through domestic abuse, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I, um, there were some jokes that landed. There was, like, like tongue, like, um, the word I'm looking for. Quick-witted jokes. Yes. The quick-witted, the quick-witted jokes are the ones that made me laugh the most. Agree. Yeah, or, like, the overt sarcasm stuff. You know? Yes, yes, that, yeah. yes. That stuff, but like blowing on a Nintendo cartridge and being like, "Oh, you're gonna make some guy very happy someday." That's just juvenile to me. That's yeah, no. There was a lot of sexist jokes in this. Some oh man, like I had to go into this with low expectations because you you because because like you had you had said like it might might not be uh. It's like you're a huge Seth MacFarlane fan, but this might be the one thing that he put out that you don't like. Yeah, but I will say I I did, I, I, I said I did finish it. There was uh, a character. I mean, so the uh, the dad he um he does get a redemption. He does get a redemption. So I I will say that there is a lot of character development in this. I was gonna, is it a well-deserved and fleshed-out redemption arc, though? Like uh, Bakugo and My uh, Hero, where it's, like, where it's like you've been with him for a long enough time to see him grow as a character. Is this just some kind of, like, shoehorned, they learn a lesson at the end of the episode, and now they're suddenly a good guy sitcom bullshit? <laughs> you know? I, I don't know. The next episode, think... they're an asshole again. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. That's the no one ever actually learns anything in these shows, and I think that's part of the point. I think like there's always a lesson to be told, like Family Guy though. But they hit the magic reset button every episode, and things just go back to the status quo in the next yeah. one. So I think I think what the show's problem is is that it's Family Guy humor in a live action setting, and that doesn't work. It it right. only work that kind of humor only works there... in, in animation because there's a there's the 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 wall of it being animated between you and them, but this kind of shit being shown to you with real people kind of makes it uncomfortable and hard to watch in some areas. You know, See, like 
even the jokes that are meant to be cutaway jokes like the the one mm-hmm. where where the 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 niece is accidentally sitting in on the colonoscopy and hearing all the stuff the doctors are saying that would be a good family guy cutaway but in this show it feels like it just just detracts from the main narrative <laughs> you know yeah i it kind um... of feels like a distraction and like a nonsensical thing rather than a yeah i don't know it just i don't think adult animation humor works in a live action setting it's it, obviously no, it's supposed to be I, a, par- um, a parody of sitcoms but mm-hmm. i don't know i i i went into the went into it looking at the cutaway scenes as a seth MacFarlane signature yeah that's ba- that's basically one of the best things he's he, he's he's good at the cutaway scenes the cutaway scenes and the toilet humor yeah well that's actually see that's the thing though you have if you haven't seen the orville you wouldn't know but like since i've seen the orville since i've seen what seth MacFarlane can do at his best i've seen the orville i've seen a million ways to die in the west i think these are examples of him at his at his top at the top at the peak of his uh talent and Mm -hmm. the or the orville is truly one of the best tv shows i've ever seen and it's got some great story beats some great uh stuff about like um there's some great social commentary up in there you know there's a whole episode about like gender identity stuff and stuff like that uh-huh. and he's got some really good messages in the show uh there's one episode that's basically like a black mirror episode about a whole planet where the society is based off of you know, popularity, and if you're not popular enough, you get executed. You know, that kind of shit. Interesting. Yeah, I've seen the Orville, so I know that Seth MacFarlane is capable of greatness. So this show feels like a huge step down compared to that for me. Like That makes sense. A a huge step down for him. Makes sense. But, uh, yeah, what are some of your other thoughts on it, though? See, you finished the show, I haven't, so you got more context than me. I I don't really have much else on it. Uh, I'm gonna give my review, I'm gonna give my rating. Um. Okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna rate this as 7.5. Like, okay. I like, I like it, but... There's a lot of miss. There's there's a lot of shit in this show that if this doesn't cancel Seth MacFarlane, I don't know what will. I to be honest with you, I genuinely don't think enough people care about this show for that to even happen. Like I think <laughs> that's fair. Most, most people probably don't even know it exists. <laughs> like the, the 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 probably the people that know it exists are are like the diehard Seth MacFarlane fans. Yeah, and a lot of the like advertisement I've been... This should not come as a surprise to anyone, because the internet is, of course, the internet. But a lot of the advertisements I've seen for it, a lot of the comments I've seen on it are, you know, from, like, edgy people that are like, haha, now this is comedy, you know, snowflakes don't <laughs> apply, you know. This isn't yeah. meant for sensitive people, you know, shit like that. I'm like, yeah, yeah. so I, I wonder if maybe the demographic is edgy teenagers, for this show probably, because probably, the two yeah. main the two main characters are basically edgy teenagers. So Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. 
So I, I know it's supposed to be like commentary on 90s sitcoms and all that, but the show doesn't feel as smart as it thinks it's being. It really doesn't. Right. It's it's not. The show thinks it's smarter than it is, and it doesn't. It doesn't come across like biting satire like South Park does. It just comes across like lazy, low effort garbage <laughs> to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, um, I'm glad that you you might actually have liked it more than I do. I still haven't finished it yet, to be fair. But also. That's got to be the lowest rating that you've given to anything on this show so far. Yeah, and that yeah. is ge- genuinely surprising coming from the guy who gave me guff for only giving Spider-Man two a nine out of ten. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, that's 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 surprising. Um, but uh, see, I guess now you can see how you can like something and still notice its flaws at the same time. <laughs> yeah, dude, this show's got a lot of them, but I still <laughs> like it. Yeah, and see, that's fine. You know, Final Fantasy Thirteen has a lot of flaws, and I still like it. I would probably rate that game a 7 out of 10, but it's still in my top 5 Final Fantasy games. There you go. So, sometimes it pays to be a little nuanced. Sometimes you gotta you gotta set aside yeah. your personal your your personal taste for the sake of being a little objective. Reviews are supposed to be a mix of objective facts and subjective taste together you know Mm -hmm. um kind of measuring both to come up with a fair score so and i think you pretty much hit the nail on the head with ted there so yeah um well um my first thing isn't exactly the greatest uh bit of news a little bit of sadness but it's worth mentioning um it was announced i want to say earlier today that Mm the uh uh, prolific actor Carl Weathers, um, known for his roles in movies like Rocky, Predator, and his role in The Mandalorian, has passed away, sadly, at the age of 76. Mm-hmm. Um, he also had roles in Happy Gilmore, Arrested Development, and Toy Story 4. He in fact, was in Happy Gilmore, wasn't he? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was the guy with the fake hand. He was Chubbs! Yep. He was yep. Chubbs. He passed away oh. on Thursday, f- February 1st. His family told Deadline in a statement. Man. Said, we, that's... We, are, we are deeply saddened to announce the passing of Carl Weathers. He died peacefully in his sleep on Thursday, February 1st, 2024. Carl was an exceptional human being who lived an extraordinary life through his contributions to film, television, the arts, and sports. He has left in... Uh, indelible mark and is recognized worldwide and across generations he was a beloved brother father grandfather partner and friend damn he was nominated for an emmy in his role in the mandalorian i I saw that man that is sad yep another um Another great actor, sadly gone, uh, mm-hmm. up there with with the likes of uh, Lance Reddick and Andre Andre Man. This one, this one hurts too, just like Andre Bauer not that long ago. Yeah, dude, I remember when Robin Williams passed. Like, dude, I cried. Oh yeah, there's definitely been some sad, disappointing ones. You know, Betty White uh, was a big one. Right. Bra- yeah, Betty White was a huge one. But 
Man, Carl Weathers, yeah, that's he was a legend. We lost another legend. But it's good to know, as sad as it is, though, 76 still really isn't that old, considering some people live to be 100. But yeah, um, but it's good to know that he went peacefully in his sleep, at least. Yeah. I do. That does make me wonder if maybe he ha- he did have maybe some kind of health problem or something, though, because I don't... Yeah. You don't often hear of someone passing away of natural causes at 76. It's usually, like, because of some kind of underlying health issue. But if he, but yeah. it's good to know that he went, he went peacefully, at least. Yeah. That's, that so. is comforting. Yes. But, um, yeah, there's not, I mean, that is, that, that's that news. There's not really a lot more I can say about it. So, um, so what else do you have for us? Uh, I am going to talk a little bit. I'm gonna. This is my my recommendation. I'm gonna save my uh my my other review for last. Okay. Um, Sarah and I have been playing a lot of Pokemon Violet lately. Um, uh, we've been. She's been helping me with um the leveling up my Pokemon. We've been running around doing raids. I've beaten five gym leaders so far. I've nice. beaten all of the. Uh, I got. I d- did all of the the Titan Pokemon. So I've fully upgraded um, Mariadon, and with well, obviously you can ride ride him around like a like a motorcycle, but um, or a bike that has the ability to swim, climb. Uh, jump and glide. Nice. <laughs> it's fucking awesome, dude. Wow. But wow, yeah. they really that yeah, that series has come a long way. It really has. Like, dude, it's this is so I I she also recently picked up um Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu. I've I've played a little bit of it. Uh, I haven't gotten too far into it, but I, she's, I also recently started playing, uh, was it, um, new Pokemon Snap? Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 But no, uh, po- more, more, a little more on Pokemon Violet. Um, I, uh, I'm, I'm really liking this. Like it's, I find myself. I find myself just like wanting just instead of turning on my PlayStation and finding a different like game on my PlayStation to to play, I just I boot up my Switch whether it be with my wireless controller or just I do feel like doing handheld. Um, I I just I pick up my Switch and I open up Pokemon and it's just nostalgic in a sense. Considering it's like a, a franchise that, that that I grew grew up with, but with these raids, it something tells me like this is, it's it's a live service game, but at the same time, you know, I I don't mind it. No, it's the good it's the good kind of that. It, it's not it's not live service because it's not based around a a game a gameplay loop of feeding you seasons of content and um and shoving microtransactions down your throat. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, uh, live service games are more about, like, 
adding longevity to online multiplayer through seasons of content being spoon-fed to you over time. Okay. This, at its core, is a single-player game with with online multiplayer options. Yeah, I li- I I like it. It's 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 pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't call the online multiplayer for this game live service. <laughs> no, that's more like stuff like uh like a uh, uh Fortnite and Suicide Squad and um Fair. The upcoming okay. foam 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 stars, that's a live service game. Okay. But um you've been doing the raids in the yeah. Pokemon game. Yeah, it's really like like this this franchise has come a long way, man. Like, shit. The last time I played a Pokemon game, Terra types wasn't even a thing. Like, okay. you could like one of the things that like blows my mind is you could have, uh, like say a Water type Pokemon, and their Terra type is Fire. Like what? Yeah. <laughs> it's nuts. Yeah, they've added some interesting things to them. I remember when I first played Pokemon Sword and I learned about the um uh uh what what is it like the um oh boy. I'm going to boomer butcher this, but like the <laughs> uh the the me- the mega evolutions. What are okay. they called again? Um is that what they're called? The mega evolutions? This like so. where where they evolve into like this big giant monster form of themselves, because uh, like wh- I remember one of the gym battles in Sword requires you to do that as like a tutorial. Really, basically, it teaches you teaches you about that feature. I need to yeah. check out Sword. Yeah, um, I think it's called. I think they're called Mega Evolutions. I could be wrong. I was gonna say like like giga evolution or something but i think that's a digimon thing yeah that's Um, digimon um i know in pokemon violet and scarlet or just because i i I have we 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 have uh we have we have we just have violet um oh it is just called it is just called mega evolutions by the way i just checked it Okay. Yeah, yeah, there's like yeah, one of the prime examples is Mega Charizard X, which is a blue Charizard. Oh. Blue and black. Okay. Yeah. Um Yeah. I was say one of the 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 Titan Pokémon that I that I have um encountered the the five that I've beaten, they basically there's this there's this plant called Herba Mystica and it um strengthens Pokémon in certain ways. And this is like it's yes, while this is part of the story, it's also considered a side quest. Like you have three different uh side you have three different stories going on at all at the same time. While you're trying to like go through and be get reach champion status by beating all of the gym leaders, you're also helping this guy named Arvin. Um find and defeat all of the titan pokemon to help him with with make basically the, he makes sandwiches out of the herba mystica and when you feed the herba mystica to mariadon that is what um the herba mystica sandwiches not just the herba mystica mariadon is a bougie bitch he wants she wants uh 
she wants it in a sandwich. <laughs> okay. Um, it, it that's what fully that's what that's where because at some point Mariah Don got injured at some point down the line, and um, uh, lost all ability for like like all of the the abilities that you gain back when you beat all five of the titans. Um. But it's it's an interesting it's an interesting side quest. It is it really is, and it's okay. the, and it's not just like it doesn't it's not just that it makes the Pokemon stronger with the Titan Pokemon. What makes them Titan Pokemon is they grew bigger and stronger. So these are like giant versions of, not necessarily giant, but bigger versions of what would a what a normal sized Pokemon out in the wild would be. Right. I do remember some of those from Sword. They were like yeah. bigger versions walking around. They they had some Pokemon would come in different sizes too. I thought that was kind of realistic too cuz you yeah. know like not all cats and dog not all cats and dogs are the same size. Mm-hmm. So It definitely sounds like they've come a long way. Holy shit it's because a, like it's even good. since even since Sword and Shield actually because Man, I remember a few generations back when everyone was giving them guff for Pokemon being based on things like keys, ice cream, and bags of garbage. <laughs> what? So, yeah, yeah, there's an actual Pokemon called Rubbish. Look him up. He's literally a bag of trash. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not kidding. This is actual. And there is, like, oh yeah, there's a Pokemon that looks like a chandelier, there's one that looks like a set of keys, and there's one that looks like an ice cream cone. Interesting. And they were... They were all from, I want to say, maybe, like, the fourth generation, I think. They did get pretty um, lazy with the names. Porygon 2? The fuck? That was, like, in the second generation, though. That was in the sequel generation, so they had sequel Pokemon, you know what I mm-hmm. mean? Like, that was that was fine, though. Crystal, for me, personally, uh, Gold, Silver, and Crystal is still the peak of that franchise. Gen 2 is, like, I mean, because I'm a 90s kid, Gen 2 is my favorite gen. I'll say that. I'll take I the know, OG generation. The first 151. The first, hun- the first 151. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but they don't have Cyndaquil and the unknown in it, no. unfortunately. Yeah. They don't have. They don't have. Uh, also, Gen Two had the best Pokemon movies. I know a lot of people like the original. Yeah. But I think the third movie. I think the third movie, the one with Entei and the Unknown, is actually my favorite. Yeah. No, that one and um, Pokemon Two Thousand were my two favorites. But I'm. Li- I like that Netflix did basically a a, a a reimagining of Pokemon the first movie, Mewtwo Strikes Back. Okay. Yeah, yeah, they did. That's mm-hmm. right. Yeah, they sure I did. It, scene, scene for scene, it was the same. You can buy, um, you can actually buy on Blu-ray a bundle pack that has the original movie and that that ver- the new version together. Really nice. Yep. So, Pokemon Violet is a strong recommend for yeah, you. Yeah, Pokemon uh, Violet is a strong recommend for me. Yes, absolutely. It seems like after taste testing a bunch of games on the Switch, you found one that you really locked into and mm-hmm. sat with for a while. Yep. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's how it is. That's how it is for me. I actually, 
yeah, since I replayed all the Arkham games, I don't know what... What I'm maining right now is Persona 3 Reload, since that just came out today. That's the remake of Persona 3 on Game Pass, so that's that's what I'm maining right now until the next big game comes out, which is probably going to be Banisher's Ghosts of New Eden next week. Okay. So, yeah, that one's looking really good to me. Um, well, speaking of which... Uh, my other thing is kind of news-ish. News, it's, okay. Uh, early, earlier this week we had a PlayStation State of Play. Yes. And I just kind of wanted to go over some of the highlights from that real quick because there are a few things I wanted to mention. I kept notes. Um, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the, the show. It seemed like at least a good 60 to 70% of what they showed is definitely up my alley. Right. Um. So in order, um, Stellar Blade is one of the things that, like, I was it was on my radar. I was interested in it, but now that I've seen what they showed at the beginning of this, it was like one mm-hmm. of the first things they talked about. I think it was the first like they opened with Helldivers 2 and then immediately after that they talked about Stellar Blade and yes. what they showed has me excited. It looks and feels like near Automata, uh, although the characters look like they're straight out of uh like Street Fighter or Tekken. Mm-hmm. Um but the atmosphere looks like near Automata, which I love. It's in a post-apocalyptic setting. It's a open-world action RPG. Um, it's, uh, you know, instead of robots, though, you're fighting, like, mutated creatures. It just looks really good. And I th- what I like about the presentation they gave for that one is that they seem very confident. Like, this game knows what it is. It knows what it's setting out to be. It has a clear identity. And, like, it's, like, yeah, I'm... I'm all in on it. Like, it, it's what I saw in that, like, gameplay preview that they showed at the very beginning of State of Play. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stellar Blade is like, gone further up the list on my radar now, for sure. Like, that was a good showing. Um, yeah. And then Foam Stars, they showed some more of that, which we kind of already knew about, but we know now it's going to be a free PlayStation Plus game. Yes, um, I'm excited for that. Next week, actually, on the 6th. So, okay. Um, so the day it comes out, it'll be free for Plus members. And yeah, you and I will be recording a Let's Play of it. Sweet sure. shit. Um, it's basically PlayStation's response to Splatoon. I know a lot of people are probably going to pass on it, and I can't blame them. Honestly, it is just another live service game, but I mm-hmm. definitely want to try it. You know? I think it would um, be fun. It's worth a shot. Um... Sonic uh, X Shadow Generations. Now, this is basically a remaster of Sonic Generations, which was a game I really... Like, one of the best modern Sonic games, if you ask me. Okay. Because Sonic Generations was a mixture of the old-school 2D and the new-age 3D Sonic. You play... It's it's a like a... The story is like a time-bending story where old Sonic and new Sonic meet each other. Mm-hmm. Um, the past and the the past and the future come together. So there are some levels you play as classic Sonic, and some levels you play as modern Sonic. See, this is a game and that it, I could get into. Really cool, yeah. So Sonic Generations—that's why it's called Sonic Generations. Well, the other part of that is that. This version of the game is including Shadow the Hedgehog and new levels featuring him. Yes. Which was not a thing in the original. He was a boss battle in the original, I think, but you didn't play as him. Okay. So. I think they might be doing well, that in, so mu- in uh, 
in honor of the Sonic the Hedgehog 3 that's coming out this holiday season this year. Yeah, because Shadow is definitely in that. Yeah, exactly. Um, if that's, you saw the post credits of the second yeah, movie. Yeah, that's, that's no secret now. That's no secret at this point. Um... Of course, back to back, the next two things they showed had me excited. Um, the first thing was, uh, so Konami came up, and as much as I'm hesitant to give Konami any praise, especially after all the, all the Kojima stuff, um, I am excited to mention, though, that the the free game that they put out uh, the same day that this aired, by the way, called Silent Hill The Short Message, it's a two-hour, completely free, exclusive to PS5 experience, and so far this year, which granted we're only in the beginning of February, but so far this year, it's one of the best things I've played and in 2024. I was you were, you were, you as were far as new games. live streaming this earlier, and you said in the live stream that this is could potentially be one of your top ten for this, no, this upcoming yeah, this yeah. November. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, as of right now, it's definitely a candidate. But, you know, keep in mind that that is, like, this is still, we're on February 2nd, and there are a lot of things that have yet to come out this year, mm-hmm. including Final Fantasy VII Rebirth mm-hmm. at the end of the month. And, um, like, it'll probably eventually be drowned out by other releases, both AAA and Indie. Um, but as of right now, as of today... It's definitely a uh, contender, th- a, a, a nominee contender at least. Okay. So, um, but yeah, it was a really good uh, short game that's basically about this girl that um is going through this apartment building looking for her friend, um, and uh is being chased by this cherry blossom monster, um throughout the events of the game and the whole thing is like a metaphor for like bullying child abuse and suicide mm. and um as silent hill usually is the whole point of most silent hill games is that the character you're playing as is going through is being tormented by you know the benev the entity that is silent yeah. hill using their using their trauma mm-hmm. you know silent hill always has been about torturing the protagonist with their own trauma uh-huh. is what it's always been yep. and using the, the the monsters as metaphors mm-hmm. for that you know silent hill 2 one of the most popular ones is actually in a lot of ways secretly about sex abuse that's why it introduced the the creepy sexy nurses as one of the monsters in yeah. it yeah it's all about the main character dealing with his uh with his own uh psychological issues and trauma in that game. Makes That's sense. the first one Pyramid Head Pyramid Head was introduced in as well. Okay. Is Silent Hill 2. Um Silent Hill 2 is by far the most popular game in the entire franchise and that is why it is also the one being completely remade by Bloober Team, the people behind Layers of Fear, Observer, uh Blair Witch and The Medium. Um, one of my favorite horror developers, but I will say, so the trailer they showed for the Silent Hill 2 remake is a little confusing for me because what I don't understand is why they chose to show combat when combat has objectively always been the weakest and most and least interesting part of any Silent Hill game. Like, 
Silent Hill games, the combat has always been intentionally clunky, and the weapons break eventually, like they do in, like, you know, uh, Breath of the Wild or whatever, because it's supposed to feel... Your character is supposed to be, like, an inexperienced person that's just trying to survive this nightmare, you know? They're not like a... It's not like in Resident Evil 2 where Leon is a cop and already knows what he's doing. Right, you know? right. You're you're just you're just an everyday guy looking for his missing wife, you know. So and you're fighting off these monstrosities with a crowbar and shit. It's supposed to be clunky, but the trailer they showed for the Silent Hill Two remake looks way too action heavy for what these games are supposed to be. Mm-hmm. You know, the short message game that I played is a perfect example of what Silent Hill should be, even though it didn't have any combat. You know, and it was in first person. They're usually in third person in terms of atmosphere and narrative. And that that is what Silent Hill is. It's psychological horror. It's not action horror. It's not survival horror. It's psychological. It's mess with your head shit. So the fact that they chose to show off combat for that trailer really is off-putting to mm-hmm. me. I mean, I'm still looking forward to it, but it look. I'm not gonna lie. It looks janky as hell. That 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 combat did not look good, and the the designs of the creepy nurses, they look more like mannequins now than they do deformed creatures. And I don't know why they chose that route. So mm-hmm. I, um, I'm going to be going into this one with cautious optimism. Cause I like Bloober team and silent Hill two is great, but I'm a little worried that they may be missing the point of silent Hill with this remake. Right. Like the, sh- the short message was really good because it got it. It got the point of Silent Hill. It's all about trauma and psychological horror. Silent Hill 2 Remake looks like it's trying too hard to be Resident Evil, and that's not the point. Right. So I'm a little worried, but we'll see what happens. Mm. Um, next in line, we had Judas, which I'm super excited for because it's from the team that brought us the original Bioshock, mm-hmm. uh, including Ken Levine. And goddamn, if Judas doesn't just basically look like Bioshock in space. Right. Like, it seriously does. Right. And I'm so excited for it. It looks so fucking good. I can't wait. Um, I, I can't really say much more on that, but like, I trust these guys. Uh, Bioshock 1 was amazing. Infinite was amazing. 2 wasn't great when I first played it, but in hindsight, it's good. So I, I have high hopes for this. Yeah. Um, Bioshock Infinite was my 2013 game of the year, so... It was a good uh, game. Um, Metro VR, I don't I don't have the PSVR 2 yet, but I would be excited to play this because um, they only showed two VR games, and the, the other one they showed looked really janky. Uh, yeah. But this one looked good. Uh, the one with the skeletons and the swords and shit, that one looked janky uh, as hell. Yeah, but this did. one, Metro VR, this one looked good. This one looked good. Um... It takes place in the Metro universe, so that's Metro 2033, Metro Last Light, and Metro Exodus. Mm. And those those are those are good games, and I always felt like they were a good setting for a VR experience. So, um, yeah. Also, they're based on books too. Actually, interesting. The Metro, okay. The, the Metro, yeah, the Metro games. There's a book called Metro 2033 that they're based on. Um, so. And then we got to see more Dragon's Dogma 2, and this yes. one showed a lot more a lot more combat. And if I'm being honest, the combat in this one looks like it's a lot more fast-paced and action-heavy than the first game. So, um, and from what I understand, because I know you said you, you struggled with one of the early boss battles in the first game or something, I... Apparently, this game is going to start off with a recap of the events of the first game, so you don't have to play the first one to enjoy this one. You can just jump right in. Okay. Um, 
So they will give you a synopsis. And from what I saw that combat, this one looks like it's going to be really cool. Like that they were like the dude was a battle mate. Like one of the characters was a wizard with a sword like Gandalf. And he like teleported onto the dragon's head and he started stabbing it in the neck and shit. And like they were doing all kinds of like midair acrobatics and Mm. stuff. It looked like anime. It almost looked like anime combat in a medieval setting, (laughs) you know, like it was really cool. I'm I'm I'm. I'm I'm thinking this one is going to be, you know, since it's on modern systems, it's going to they have a lot more to play with so they can do more than the the uh, cuz I think the original's Dragon's Dogma was like a PS3 game that got remastered for PS4. So Yeah. That might explain that's why That's the vibe I got. Yeah, that's that might explain why it it might feel a bit dated from a gameplay perspective, but this one just based on the trailer, I think is going to be a lot more appealing to a modern audience. Um, yeah, uh, def- I think I eventually want to get get my hands on Dragon's Dogma too, and that's coming out next month. Um, and oh then, shit! Then we saw Rise of the Ronin, which I believe now Rise of the Ronin. I don't know if this is exclusive. Stellar Blade, I think, is going to be a PS5 exclusive. The first one I mentioned, um, which mm-hmm. I'm excited to you know finally get a new IP that would probably be a system seller. But Rise of the Ronin, yeah. I thought was exclusive, but I'm also thinking it might not be. Um, but that one, it looks good. I do want to play it, but it also looks a little bit rough around the edges. I think it needs a little bit of polishing before it's ready to go, before it's ready to fully go public. And I know that like it's scheduled to come out literally the same day as Dragon's Dogma 2. And I don't know if it's ready yet, just based on that trailer, but it does look fun. Like... It, okay. it gives. It looks to me like a mix of Assassin's Creed, Batman, Arkham, and Ghost of Tsushima, and those are three things I like. So, um, and I like any game basically that takes place in a feudal Japan setting too, because that's just like one of the most beautiful settings. So, um, right. and I love samurai shit too. On top of it, so, um, <clears throat> that's fair. Uh, so I am looking forward to it, but like I, I. Um, I think this one's going to be a rental until I know for sure, because some of what they showed, like, I don't know, like, when they were jumping across the rooftops and stuff, it looks fun, but, like, it it looks like it needs a little polishing. Like, when they were gliding, like, right before they landed, it all, it it didn't... Mm -hmm. It didn't feel fluid the way that the wings kind of like de- it looks like they just like despawned in an empty frame and then you just kind of land. There's no like fluidity to it. It's a little uh, a little off putting. Um, mm-hmm. I just feel like there needs to be it needs to it needs to flow a little bit better than what I saw. But otherwise, it looks good. I just think it could use just maybe a little bit of spit shine before it goes before it goes gold. Um, and then until dawn remake coming to PS5 Dude, and PC, I'm fucking excited for this. I wonder I, if they're doing this because of the movie. You know, it's possible. That's that's the first thing that I thought of. Like, I the, until dawn has got to be one of my absolute favorite. PlayStation exclusives. 
Yeah, it, it definitely, it was one of those games that had the privilege of being an early PS4 exclusive, so it had, like, that limelight, too, because I don't think anything Supermassive has done since then, including Dark Pictures and The Quarry, has been anywhere near as popular or successful as Until no. Dawn was. No, definitely not. Like, Until Dawn was... Oh my gosh, dude. But it was also a unique idea at the time. I mean, it was playing it was. ideas of games like Heavy Rain and stuff, but it took that, that mm-hmm. concept, that, that telltale concept, and made it its own thing um, in a way that, really hadn't, hope that hadn't been done before, you know? I really hope that Supermassive gets involved with the movie. I just hope they bring back the same cast, is what, you That know, too. That's that kind of too. a big thing. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I'll definitely be looking forward to this. I don't think the game is going... I think it's pretty much going to be shot for shot the exact same game. But I think, from what I understand, they're adding a... Because you know how the or, uh, the original, in some scenes, it basically had like fixed camera angles? Um, yeah. Like you were seeing your character from different camera angle perspectives, almost like you were watching them through the eyes of something in the woods watching them sometimes. Yeah. Well, yeah. apparently this version is going to have the option to go full third-person mode in this game. Like, no fixed camera angles, just the camera will be behind you the entire time. Okay. I like that. So, um, that's one of the things I think they're adding. I read a couple of stuff. I don't remember what the other stuff is, but, um, you know, more on that when we get closer to it. Um, and then... yeah. And then, of course, the the end of the show, uh, one of the next big PS5 exclusives, they showed off Death Stranding 2, which, like, Mm -hmm. look, for anyone who didn't play the first game, they were obviously going to be super confused by this trailer, but also people who played the first game are also super confused by it because that's just Kojima. He Even he doesn't know what the fuck is going on in his own games. So that's kind of, you know, par the course for <laughs> his style of storytelling. He's just like, he's like Sam Lake, the guy behind the, the Remedy games. He's just a mad genius when completely unleashed yeah. and al- allowed to go off on his own, just does like the wackiest, most experimental shit he can come up with. And I love him for it. Um, that makes sense. I really love this though. Cause I like that we're getting, you know, Norman Reedus again as the main character. I love that we're getting, um, uh, fragile back. Uh, she was in the first game too. And they added those like extra pair of hands as gloves that are sitting on her shoulders and is just kind of like, uh, apparently the idea behind mm-hmm. that was Kojima was like, you know, sometimes it would be nice to just have an extra pair of hands, so I'm just going to give a character extra hands, because, you know, it's just, why not? That's funny. He does shit just because he can. Like, that's his reason. They ask him, like, so why did you do this? And he's he's like, because I could, (laughs) you know, because I wanted to. You know, there's not (laughs) really any deep meaning behind it or metaphors, it's just I wanted to do something weird, and I did. (laughs) So, uh, Mm -hmm. that's... That's what I love about him, but I am looking forward to. I like that Troy Baker is back in this one. He his character died in the original, but in this one yeah. he's back as what I can only describe as an '80s glam rock Joker. Um, and uh, he, he okay. kind of looks like he kind of looks like a member of the band Sting uh, in this game, uh, with the white face paint and the black uh, 
the the black stuff under his eyes. And then I like that when he gets into combat, he actually uses a guitar mm-hmm. and shoots lightning out of it. That was cool. Um, but one mm-hmm. of the coolest yeah. one of the coolest things I noticed was that like they there's a little puppet character that hangs from you, like a little dummy, and he is in a completely yeah. different completely different animation style and frame rate from the rest of the game and that's fucking cool yeah like that's a cool thing to pull off to mix that in like that um so i thought that was neat but yeah it looks like the gameplay is gonna be much bigger too they have new vehicles new weapons it looks like it's gonna have more combat than the original did um and it looks like this Oh yeah. This game this game is all about okay, so we we connected the world back together after the apocalypse in the first game, but now that we're connected, now what? Everyone's still dying of this disease. What do we do now? And that looks like it's where it's right. where it's picking up. So, I'm excited uh for it. And apparently mm-hmm. Kojima, we already know from the Game Awards, he's working on an Xbox exclusive called OD. Apparently, he's also working on another PlayStation exclusive called uh Fizzent. Uh, which is going to be um, a a tactical espionage game similar to Metal Gear Solid. So okay. I think that was kind of like one of the things, too. PlayStation was like, all right, yeah, you can go off and do your own thing. You know, you got your Kojima Studios now, but please give us another Metal Gear Solid-style game. We want one of those. So that's, that's what he did. So he's got an Xbox exclusive coming, a PlayStation exclusive coming, and then, of course, Death Stranding 2. So... Okay. Uh, O.D., Fizzant, and Death Stranding 2 getting a triple dose of Kojima sometime in the future, and I'm here for it. Hell yeah. So, alright, well, that was basically my my um, recap of my highlights for uh, State of Play. I know you watched it, too. Did you have anything in particular besides Until Dawn uh, you wanted to talk about from it? Uh, no, you mean you pretty much covered it all. Alright. Eh. Okay, so so what's your uh, your last media corner thing then? So my last media corner entry is I talked about it in the topic for our 2023 year in review episode, uh, but I Sarah and I have since finished it. Uh, Percy Jackson and the Olympians. Oh yeah, I hear good things about this show. Shit, bro, like. Uh, I'm I'm telling you, like when I, dude, this show keeps you on the edge of your seat, and each episode has like a cliffhanger. Like the way the way that they did this is they 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 treated it like an actual TV show where they have yeah where it's where where they basically. All of the episodes are streaming on Disney Plus now, but when they were releasing the episodes, it wasn't the morning of. It was every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Central Time is when uh, 8 8 p.m. Central Time when they would drop the episodes on Disney Plus. Yeah, I like how they sometimes <clears throat> wait until night now so that, like, uh, people can watch it after work or whatever and not worry about having it spoiled before they get home. It seems yeah, like I like that, too. Like a, they're trying to do, like, um, 
Um, they're trying to treat it like it was actually airing live on TV because you know how like yeah. The Walking Dead would air every Sunday at like 8 p.m. You know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And I was reading about uh, or, or saw this earlier today. Um, Percy Jackson got an exciting season two update. Um, Percy Jackson, the Percy Jackson season two isn't greenlit, but the showrunners are working on it anyways. Well, it's good to have a plan. Hell um, yeah. <clears throat> like, dude, like so, the, the, the cliffhangers at the end of each episode was, um, like, yes, it made you like wanting to watch more. But in that same breath, that's what kept me coming back every week. Yeah, yeah, I love uh, I love me a good um, cliffhanger. Keeps me coming. Yeah, that's that's one of the things I'm big on when it comes to storytelling. Is like, dude, uh, they did it right with this. They did it right with this one. So Percy Jackson and the Olympians, demigod. Percy Jackson leads a quest across America to prevent a war among the Olympian gods. Basically, um, this is the whole plot about uh, behind this is this is young Percy Jackson just finding out that he's a demigod. His mom was preparing him. By telling him all of the like ancient like uh, Greek mythology stories about the Greek gods and shit, just inadvertently not not in, on her end it was inadvertently, but she was pre- by telling him these stories she she was preparing him for what for who for who he is a demigod, the child okay. of a mortal human. And a god. I think I remember that from the movie. But I heard that this show is like way better than the movie was. Dude, I can confirm that. Dude, this this is this movie was or this this show was really good. Like I'd be I'd be willing to give it a a solid ten out of ten. For my for my rating, that's how strongly okay. I feel about this show, bro. Like this, this is some this was some good shit. So I take it then that you've like you've read the books and feel like it's have it's not pretty accurate. Oh, you have. I, okay. I, I haven't even touched the books. I I I I just I I I really enjoy Greek mythology. Fair enough. Greek mythology, Norse uh, Norse mythology, I enjoy it all. Yeah, I was um Yeah, I like those ones too. You know uh who else has really good uh mythology and um and like monsters and gods in it too is uh Egyptian. Egyptian mythology yes. is pretty good too. Yes. You know, like uh I, I can like agree Os- with that. Os- Osiris and stuff like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um But okay. Yeah, so I'm, I'm take it. You know, we've got a good story, good acting. I don't. I, I think this is one where you can. 
I think that, you know, considering it's based off of books and a movie that have been out for quite some time, I think most people know the story by now. So, yeah. I, you know, it's one one where I think you can be a little more loose. But I don't know if this show does anything new or different. Right. So, uh, so I am looking the one, forward to seeing it, though. The one person I knew who was going to be in this... And 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 the the character that he portrays is Ares, the god of war. the 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 actor I am referring to is Adam Copeland, also known as the Rated R Superstar Edge. Uh, he is now part of the AEW roster, but he got his start, from my understanding. And he is a WWE Hall of Famer, but he 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 was uh, part of the WWE for the longest time, and within the last couple of years, like I think in 2020, January of 2020, he debuted. Not not not. Wow, not debuted. Returned. Excuse me. Um. He returned after a decade of being gone from uh what he thought was what was known to be a a career ending injury and the fact that they got him to play the role of Ares the god of war it, it, he fits the role fucking perfectly bro nice yeah i'm seeing uh i notice a lot of wrestlers tend to get into acting which kind of makes sense because there's a lot of acting involved in wrestling especially yeah, no. like with the whole like a, character backstories and shit. So they, they, they're, they are, they're, they're, yes, it's sports entertainment is what they're calling it. Sports entertainment. They're telling a story. Each superstar has their own, like there's storylines in the WWE and it, it, it's, it is, yeah. there's the, 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 cause, cause right now the, the story is that, um, Let's see. The Rock just came back to the WWE a couple of like a couple of weeks. Like he 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 came back on my birthday on Monday. Was it Monday? It was a Monday Night Raw. It was yeah Monday Night Raw, the uh, day one edition of Monday Night Raw. The Rock came back and he was just on SmackDown tonight, uh, doing something. I'm thinking, guessing, I'm guessing it was something having to do with the match that has been teased for years now at this point uh against his cousin Roman Reigns at WrestleMania for WrestleMania 40 that's coming up in April. Okay. Yeah. I, I was just pointing it out that like, you know, obviously the Rock kind of started that trend, but that you know, Dave Batista has been in a lot of stuff. And you know who's starting to be in a lot of things lately is uh Samoa Joe cuz you know Yeah. Uh, Sweet Tooth's body actor in Twisted mm-hmm. Metal, even though Will, Ar- Will Arnett did the voice, but he's also the voice of King Shark in the Suicide Squad game that came out today. There's a reason for that too, though. Um, either like because there's there's been t- there's times where when a superstar is when goes out to portray or go, goes out to uh, pursue acting, usually that starts with some sort of an injury that put them out 
for a, a, a while in the first place. So they look. Okay. So they they look for something to to fill the void until they can come back. Some of them just stick. Okay. Some of them just end up sticking with the acting, and not coming back for years at a time. Well, there's a lot of uh, physical acting as Sweet Tooth, so I imagine that would have been hard to do with an injury. <laughs> there's a lot of stunts involved in that performance. Well, I mean, I would say no. Samoa Joe did have did sustain an injury. That's what. That's I think that no, 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 no. That's a lie. No, the reason he went out and did this is because he he had just gotten he just got released from his contract from the WWE. I heard him talk. Oh, I, I heard okay. him. I heard him talk about this on the uh, the PlayStation podcast. Uh, that's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. I remember he was yeah, his talking buddy... about his role as Sweet Tooth. Mm-hmm. Sure was. Okay. Yeah. Oh, we kind of veered a little off topic there, but anyways, yeah. Percy Jackson. <laughs> um, yes. Percy Jackson, you really enjoyed uh, oh ten out of ten. I guess yes. like um, most people have either read the books or seen the original movie by now, mm-hmm. so there's or they've definitely heard everyone else talking about this show. So I guess there's not. A whole lot, you it's could say. But... So good. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad to hear it because I'm definitely looking forward to giving it a go myself. I've heard good things from several people at this point. So, mm. um, so good. All right. Well, speaking of things that are so so good and deserving of a solid ten out of ten, uh, or in that ballpark, our uh, as I said before, we are. Uh, Gonna talk about the greatest stories ever told in our topic today. Yes, which is what we're what we're gonna transition to over now. Once upon a time, in a faraway land, a young prince lived in a shining castle. Okay, everyone, welcome to this episode's topic: the greatest stories ever told. We have talked about a lot of what we consider to be you know really good pieces of media throughout history a lot of our favorite stuff but in this episode in particular we're going to be focusing exclusively on the narratives of these things and Mm -hmm. what makes them them so great because there's a lot of aspects to movies shows games etc that make them good outside of just the narrative you know there's the yes you know the the acting the visuals you know gameplay stuff like that but in this topic we will be focusing on the narrative and the narrative only um for these things so um when you think of things that have the greatest stories like just a a story that really stuck with you one that you keep thinking about one that you keep going back to you know uh maybe it had a really good twist or something maybe it had a really good message maybe it was a brilliant metaphor what's one of the first things that comes to your mind when you think of really really good stories I'd have to say the uh, the OG trilogy for Star Wars for sure. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely say that it was revolutionary for its time. I would say sure Empire was. Strikes way ahead of its Empire, time. 
Empire Strikes Back is probably the best of the three. Um, yes, I have, to, have to agree with you on that. It had the plot twist with um, Vader being Luke's father, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of great Han Solo stuff and Boba Fett stuff. Yeah, the original yep. trilogy is definitely really good storytelling. Now, I think there can be some things said for some of the prequels and sequels, but I don't think any of them fall under greatest stories ever told by any means. That is definitely no. a a crown held by the original trilogy, to be sure. But yeah, I will say this. Some of them do do things that... Um, like so, like in the the sequel trilogy, for example, the uh, the last Jedi was that the the second one. Um, yeah, I like that one because it's subversive. I like that it dared to be different and it dared to take the concepts of traditional storytelling and throw them out the window in favor of subverting your expectations. And mm-hmm. that was good. I wouldn't put it anywhere near the greatest stories ever told, but I do think that that does make for good storytelling, in my Absolutely opinion. Absolutely, it does. When you can do something like that. Um, one of the first things that comes to my mind is the video game Soma, and the reason for that, sticking in kind of like a sci-fi... Sci-fi is actually a great place for storytelling, um, but one of the reasons for it is because that game gave me an existential sense of dread uh, that stuck with me long after I finished it because the the narrative of that game is basically that you play as a guy with a brain tumor who goes in for an experimental technology and then uh, you end up weirdly teleported to uh, some kind of weird facility that may or may not be in the future or space or something but you know eventually you find out it's underwater and you are actually a hundred years in the future humanity has ceased to exist and what happened to the original you is they died and uh your your brain scan was uploaded into a robot body a copy of your consciousness was uploaded into a robot body and that consciousness continues thinking that it's you throughout the rest of the game. And Mm -hmm. throughout the game, there are different points where you have to transfer your consciousness from one body to another in order to keep moving forward. But you realize that it's not a transfer, it's a copy. So at one point in the game, about halfway through, you have to change diving suits to go deeper into the water, and you copy your consciousness from one robot body into another. But then the old version of you is still conscious and talking in the other chair and you have to decide whether or not to leave him like that or put him out of his misery, whether or not to mm-hmm. kill the ver- the version of you that you just were in the game, you know? Um, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And the game ends with you copying your consciousness to this machine called the Ark and sending it into space. Cause it's the last remnants of humanity, which is basically just digital copies of their consciousness um on a mm-hmm. on a satellite floating in space but th- basically that creates another version of you one version of you that gets to live a happy life on this in this digital world on the space station and the other version who went through all this that is now stuck in this underwater hellhole forever <laughs> so right it is so fucked up but i love it for that reason it's one of the best stories i've ever experienced it's 
like it's very Lovecraftian in terms of it being cosmic horror and existential dread, but it brings a lot of important questions to the table about what it really means to be human. Is it the, you know, is it the flesh and bones saggy bag of meat that we walk around in, or is it our our consciousness, our spirit, our mind, the perception of us, what, how we see ourselves that makes us what we are? And that is... Okay. That is why I like that game so much, because the real question, you know, it's kind of like got the whole Detroit Become Human thing. Can a machine right, yeah. have feelings, you know, is it, but it's a more horrifying, fucked up version of it. The best example of it is you walk up to this robot who thinks that he is one of the people who used to work down here. He thinks he's a guy named Carl. And all you see when you see him is a robot that's broken in half laying on the ground. What he sees when he looks at himself is a human body. That's been injured. interesting. Yeah. Okay. That's that's why I like it. That's why I like it because since his con- since they uploaded the consciousness of the real dead Carl into this robot, the robot thinks it is actually him. Okay. And that that is what makes it so fucked up. With your character and the disembodied voice of another one named Catherine, whose consciousness was uploaded into a basically a walkie-talkie that you carry with you. You guys are the only one, the only ones that realize that the that the real yous are dead and that you're just copies. You're the only ones that right. get it. But everyone else is like either gone completely insane or turned into a deformed monster down there that you have to avoid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, but I think it's not about the gameplay at all or any of that. It's the story. The story of that game is absolutely top tier. It's by far my all-time favorite horror game for that reason alone. You know? Okay. It is the best Lovecraft story ever told that wasn't written by Lovecraft. <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> truly, truly. Um, um, it, it, In the same vein of underwater horror nightmares, I have to say that... Um, the original Bioshock also falls under this um, greatest stories ever told for different reasons. This game has one of the absolute best plot twists that kind of gets you thinking I've ever seen. And also, the whole point of Bioshock, part of the reason it was even created was because there's a book called Atlas Shrugged written by uh, uh, Anne Rand. And it's a very politically driven mm-hmm. Uh, a politically driven libertarian leaning book that um, has a lot of things to say that are basically, you know, not true. <laughs> and Bioshock was created as a direct response to that that book in an attempt to debunk it. And okay, I think they can they they set out what they meant to do. Bioshock is a very politically driven game franchise. And the main villains of each game represent different aspects of um, of different political ideologies. The main villain of the first game is libertarianism. The second game is socialism. And the third game is religious conservatism. Um, okay. It, Bioshock Infinite being the third one. Right, um, right, right, right. And in the first game, though... Um, Basically, the main character, the main villain, his name is Andrew Ryan. Do you notice the the similarities mm-hmm. there? Anne Rand, Andrew Ryan. You get it. So, mm-hmm. um, 
So anyways, though, uh, but basically the story of Bioshock is this guy named Andrew Ryan decided that he didn't want to pay taxes, he didn't care about the poor, and he didn't like religion and all that. Basically, he hated rules, and he hated restrictions, and he hated, you know, uh, basically uh, not not being able to just do whatever he wants consequence free so he created his own city under the water called rapture and um basically basically made it a a community of unregulated self-thriving individualism but as things usually as things usually happen with things that go unregulated and without rules for too long everything eventually went to shit uh right People started getting high on this juice called Splice that gave them, like, um, basically uh, elemental superpowers. They started splicing up too much and became these deformed monstrosities known as Splicers running around. Um, everything went to hell. The, uh, the, the little, the genetically altered young girls that they were, um, extracting energy from have, uh, now turned on them and are being protected by these giant diving suit monstrosities known as big daddies and it's very complicated how a lot of this came to be and where these a lot of these creatures and stuff came from but long story short the whole point is that um when you cry when you try to create a community an independent community outside of wherever you are that is like um no, wait, that's not the right thing. The whole point is that, like, the reason that we have some of the rules that we do is so that society doesn't end up like this, <laughs> you know? Right. That was kind of, you know, the message they were trying to contribute here. But the big thing is that your character, a silent protagonist named Jack, is on an airplane, crashes in the middle of the water, there's a lighthouse there, you go in the lighthouse, you go down, you're in rapture. And you're being guided by a guy named Atlas the whole time. Um, Mm -hmm. and basically you find Andrew Ryan eventually and you kill him with a golf club. It's a very famous scene, but the twist here is that even though Andrew Ryan was the bad guy, Atlas, the guy who's been guiding you the whole time is the true Mm -hmm. bad guy and the true final villain. And it turns out that you are actually a Russian sleeper agent and your trigger phrase is would you kindly, which is something that's been said to you throughout the entire game every time Atlas asks you to do something. He says, would you kindly go pick up that crowbar? Would you kindly make your way to the atrium? You know, would you kindly go restore the generator? And that's... And once you realize that and you find out this entire time that you've been playing this game, you've everything you've been doing, you've been doing because you were told to do it because you are programmed that way. And besides being a um, <clears throat> besides being a game that is meant to uh, debunk Atlas Shrugged and Ayn Rand, it's also a game mm-hmm. that's meant meant to be commentary on the illusion of choice in video games on the fact that in a video game you really are basically you know video games have player agency you have the freedom to do what you want you're not just along for the ride you're the in the driver's seat but you are still at the mercy of the developers for the most part and guide along the path that they want you to go down and that's what that game is about in a lot of ways too it's kind of meta commentary on that which is why Mm -hmm. i think it's so absolutely brilliant so genius you know so 
Um, but yeah, those are a couple for me. Uh, let's get some more examples from you of some of the best stories ever. Oh, let's see. And why? Harry Potter. Okay. This is a big one. So, for me, I, yeah, I read the first couple of books when I was younger. I didn't really get the chance to read the rest of them. But I've seen, I've seen all the movies. Uh, but here's the thing. What makes this one of the greatest stories ever to- ever told is these this 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 franchise has been around for how long? Let's say 20 25 years. It's been around for a long time. Today's generation kids today's generation of kids are are getting into this. There's just they're pre, like the older generations are getting into it. It's everything surrounding the wizarding world of Harry Potter has just blown up. It's got solidified longevity. It's survived it, generations. It, like it, it hasn't fizzled yeah. out. It really hasn't. It it still holds up to this day. Oh yeah, I can I can respect that. Um from a storytelling aspect on it specifically though, um I would say I so what I would say about it is probably it follows the hero's journey formula very well. Yes, um, absolutely. And that's probably the biggest thing that it has going for it, uh, for sure. I mean, it is, you know, you're like, um, what was it, like the early 2000s that these came out, these books? Yeah, oh, the, when did the first or, book come out? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look up the one. The... Or was it in the 90s? The that's what I'm thinking because I know the first movie came out in 2001. Right. Okay. So it was the when 90s. Did then the first Harry Potter book come out. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone released June 26th, 1997. Okay. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. So yeah, that's Harry Potter's been around for quite some time yeah yeah so it's definitely got that longevity to it i do think uh from what i remember uh from the movies at least there is some good character development there which is a a major part of storytelling um you know um some twists and turns which is a good part of storytelling too um but so the hero's journey, and I'm I want to save getting too deep into this because there's something I want to talk about that like is very on the nose with it on purpose. But mm-hmm. um, the hero's journey is um, basically in three stages: departure, initiation, and return. And that mm-hmm. is the setup for departure. Is you know when the hero leaves their home to set out on a quest initiation is this part of the story where they are faced with trials where they have to um where they have to overcome something in order to be uh in order to be successful and then return is the return journey home um okay and that is the hero's journey uh basically in a nutshell and i do think that the the harry potter games or movies, books, all that shit, follow that to a degree. Um, mm. In more 
in more detail, if you look up the hero's journey, they have a great uh, visual of it on Wikipedia. But basically, it is um, the transference between the known into the unknown. So like in Harry Potter's case, he starts off in the known, living mm-hmm. as a normal, mug- a normal muggle with his family in the cupboard and all that. But then he gets pulled into the wizarding world, which to him is the unknown. Yes. Um, so it starts with the call to adventure, which in his case is him being invited to Hogwarts, and then the supernatural aid, which in his mm-hmm. case is Hagrid, Hagrid basically saving him from his abusive aunt and uncle. Yes. Um, you know, and then you have your threshold guardians, which is basically the, the, the spot where they, the transference from known into unknown. The 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 mm-hmm. guard the threshold guardian in this case would be his aunt and uncle trying to prevent him from going from the known to unknown. So he has to overcome that, and now his journey can truly begin. You know, yep. um, and then you have the you have the mentors, the helpers, and the challenges and the temptations, and yep. then. There's a revelation section that's called mm-hmm. the abyss, which is where the character experiences a death and rebirth of them as a character. It's where they cease to be the old version of themselves and become the new enlightened version of themselves. Where yes. would you say that was for Harry Potter in the franchise? Where did he really grow as a character? Would it be the death of Cedric? Probably. Yeah. Or... Uh, yeah, the death of Cedric Diggory in... Um... Uh, what was the, revel- the gob- revelation the goblet- for him? I think. I think. Like, what was Harry Potter's Shit. big, like, big moment where he had to cease being a regular school child and start really taking seriously this? Oh, I need to fight a war. Moment, I mean, you know? okay, so that was when when he first. So so that 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 if you want to get technical, that happened in. The Sorcerer's Stone when they realized Professor Quirrell was hiding something underneath his headgear. Uh, this just so happened to be he who shall not True. be named. But it didn't. It didn't get fully serious yet. Then they were still kids, and they were still because in the next movie they were still doing kid things while being involved in other stuff. But these characters, you know, like the Basilisk and, and the Professor Basil- Quirrell, yeah. they feel they feel like mini bosses in comparison to some of the shit they've actually had to deal with later. And I do think that you were right the first time. I think Goblet of Fire is the turning point for Harry Potter. Gob- yeah, Goblet of Fire the- is it because that's when that's when when Voldemort takes his true form. Is the exactly. I think the first I think the first the first, t- the first time we see Voldemort's fruit true form is in. Uh, the goblet of fire because after revelation there is transformation like i said mm-hmm. and then there's atonement and this this doesn't always apply but sometimes the hero does have something they need to atone for did yeah. harry potter have to atone, atone for anything in this series do i remember did he have did he make an oopsie that he had to fix not that i can think of i feel like he did but maybe not I can't but then remember. at the end at the end, we have Return, which is when they go back from the unknown back into the known. And in his case, that would be after defeating Voldemort and, you know, returning back to the, the muggle world and, you know, having a normal life and having his yeah. own kids and shit. You know? That so, happened after 
the events of the Deathly Hallows. Yes, and that's what I would say is um, Harry Potter is why it is a good story, even though obviously I'm reluctant to give <laughs> J.K. Rowling any credit because of who she's become recently. But right at one point, at one point in the past, she was a good writer and she understood the hero's journey formula. Um, now I don't so, know how much yeah. truth there is to this, but and I, I wouldn't be able to speak on it. As far as like narrative wise, because I have not read the 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 the, the, the screenplay yet. Because the mm-hmm. screen when I say screenplay, I'm referring to Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. I have the book. Oh, right. I have the book, but from my understanding, they are in serious talks about uh, doing a movie for the Cursed Child. Interesting. Okay. I would I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I would love to see it. Well, you know um you know what is another good example of a story that follows the hero's journey uh uh diorama to a perfect T. Is it is Lord of the Rings? Lord of the Lord of the Rings, yep. Especially if you consider Frodo the main protagonist. Absolutely. That is Mm-hmm. absolutely the hero's journey the known to him is the shire his normal life and he gets yep. thrust into the un- unknown almost unwittingly by being gifted the one ring and yes. his whole whole world comes apart around him sure and it does he, he he definitely faces trials he makes friends he loses friends and and Frodo actually does have an atonement moment because there are moments where the ring starts to get the better of him and yep. he he genuinely he almost didn't destroy it, you know? He almost yeah. didn't. So like and he has to, he had to atone for that and then of course he goes through the return journey home and all that and then writes a book about all of his adventures and then goes to live with the elves happily ever after. Like mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings is probably the prime and most perfect example of the hero's journey like uh story writing formula like exactly everything about it is that perfectly and it's some great stuff there are some beautiful moments in there the moments with him and sam where it's you know and god sam deserves like a purple heart or some shit because that man like at times literally carried him Mm -hmm. through the through the third act of that franchise (laughs) You know, no, absolutely. Um, and yeah, it's just so well done. And it's not even, I mean, and Frodo is definitely going through the whole hero's journey arc, but it's not just him. No, Aragorn too. Aragorn, Aragorn also goes through a version of that story arc as well. Um, except I think his ends a little bit different because he's not, I mean, it's kind of, you could call it a return home since it's technically return of the king and it is his, his heritage, his birthright, but like, yeah, it's not where he's, it's not where he started. It's not what he wanted originally, but it's what he accepted in the end. So it's a bit of a different journey for him, but still a very similar, mm-hmm. um, it's kind of a similar arc, but Frodo's side of the story is 100% like literally everything about the hero's journey yeah like, absolutely a hundred percent then we um, had we, we met some strange characters along the way like Gollum <coughs> and Smeagol one and the same but yeah. yes parts of the trials and tribulations for sure yeah and Frodo had 
I would say the two towers might have been Frodo's like transformation moment. Um, yeah, where he, you know, um, had to start taking things a little more seriously. Actually, no, you know what? I wouldn't say that. I would say it was before that. I would say it's when Boromir dies at the end of the first, at the end of the Fellowship. Yeah, that was probably that was Frodo's uh, transition. I think. yeah, sure was. That was his. Yeah, that uh, was yeah. his moment where where he he realized, oh shit! Not only is this real, but now we're on our own, mm-hmm. and we got to take it more seriously. Exactly. So, where the fellowship fell apart was the big transformation for him. Yeah. So, um, honestly, if you want to break it down, you could really say that all three books slash movies in that franchise each have their own self-contained hero's journey arc within yeah. them too. Yeah. True. Um, yeah. In a lot of ways, uh, just but but missing certain pieces. Obviously, you don't have the return home until the end of the third arc, but mm-hmm. you know they've got some of it there. Um, but the other thing I wanted to mention that definitely falls under the the hero's journey, like and it's super on the nose about it, is the Alan Wake franchise. Okay. Um, particularly, I consider it creative because it's literally a story about a story. Like, it's a meta-narrative, and the idea of a horror writer getting trapped in a story that he doesn't remember writing is really cool, and that Mm. was a good original concept for the first game. But then, they've taken it into narrative, uh, like, extreme narrative heights in the second game, and what's funny is that, you know, stop me if this sounds familiar, but the names of the three books that Alan has written within the um, entire franchise are Departure, Initiation, and Return. Um, okay. So, okay. the book that yeah. Alan wrote, the, the story that Alan wrote in the first game that he gets trapped in and doesn't remember writing is called Departure. Then when he gets trapped in the dark place at the end of that game, in the second game, he's trying to write a book called Return to write himself out. Every time he tries to write it, though, he fails, and the reason is because he's trying to skip from Departure to Return without doing the initiation in between. He's trying to skip a crucial part of the hero's journey, and it's not working. So the second game is all about him realizing that he needs to write that second act in order for the story to work in order for him to escape the dark place that makes sense it's kind of about him figuring out his own hero's journey while also simultaneously writing it at the same time yeah you know um so that's one of the reasons i like about that but i'm not going to dig into that one too deep because i've exhausted the amount of things i can say about that game on this show but right right um but that's one of the big that's something that like I just thought about more recently was oh shit this game is actually a metaphor for the hero's journey that's one of the parts I didn't realize at first mm-hmm. um the other uh the other story um story formula I want to talk about is called Dan Harmon's story circle Dan Harmon being the guy behind community and one of the writers for Rick and Morty and all that okay um so it's very similar to the hero's journey, but it's a lot more linear. And it's basically a pie chart that says um, that it, it, when I read this to you, it's going to sound pretty much the same as the hero's journey, but it's his own like more condensed version of it. So okay. in order, a character is in a zone of comfort or familiarity. Then they desire something. So they enter an unfilled, unfamiliar situation Then they adapt to their new situation. Then they get that which they wanted. 
Then they pay a heavy price for getting what they wanted. Then they return to their familiar situation and they have changed as a result of the journey. Mm -hmm. So that's Dan Harmon's story circle. So basically a character is in a familiar situation. They decide they want something. So they enter an unfamiliar situation to get it. They adapt to that situation. They get what they want, but they pay a heavy price for it. Then mm. they return to their familiar situation and they have changed as a result of the journey. Does that sound familiar to you in any kind of way? Uh -huh. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, what's the first story that comes to mind that follows that formula to you? Like, what's oh, a, a journey where someone wanted something, they went after it, they paid a heavy price to get it, but they changed for the better in the end? Uh. There's a lot. Oh, yeah. It's a very popular form of story writing. By the way, right. this story, Dan Harmon's story circle is the the method that he uses for writing every single episode of Rick and Morty. Every episode of Rick and Morty follows the Dan Harmon story circle. So, like, uh, think of, like, any um, any story where a character is like, oh, I'm going to go hunt after this treasure because I really want this treasure. And they get the treasure, but then someone dies, a friend dies, like, while they're escaping or something. And, but, like, you know, they learn something at the end. They become a better person. Um, you know, something like that. I would say a good example of Dan Harmon's story circle is probably the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Yes. I agree with because that. Because those all those almost always have some kind of greed involved. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, they're going because they're going after treasure, but there's always some kind of caveat. It's like cursed or somebody dies or something, you yep. know? And I wouldn't exactly say anyone learns anything in the end of those movies, but they do change. The characters do change over time. Will Turner, for example, in the first game or in the first movie, goes from being a blacksmith to being a pirate mm -hmm. by the end of it. You know, Elizabeth Swan goes from being a governess's daughter to being a pirate. Mm -hmm. You know, they definitely change by the end of the first movie. Now that I'm thinking about it, though, I have to say, I would say if there's one character I had to pick, definitely follows Dan Harmon's story circle in the Pirates franchise overall. It's Elizabeth for sure. Yeah. Because I can agree with that. she's a governess's she's a governess's daughter who's in a zone of comfort and familiarity. Mm -hmm. The pirates she she desires a life of adventure on the seas. She desires piracy. You know, she enters an unfamiliar situation when the pirates come to town and basically kidnap her because she has that coin. Yep. They and then she adapts to the situation because she's well she's well versed in the laws of pirates mm -hmm. and she you know, asks Barbosa for a parlay, and she learns how to be a pirate herself. She gets what she wanted, she becomes a pirate, but she pays a heavy price for it when her father is killed. Right. And, it, which happens in a later movie, but it happens. She doesn't learn about it until the third movie, when they're going to Davy Jones' locker, but yeah. Yep. Um. But, like, and... But she does, the only thing is, I don't think she, like, fully returns to her familiar situation. She does by the end of the first movie, but then in the second movie, they come to execute her and Will in the beginning because of them helping wanted pirate Jack Sparrow in the first one. Mm -hmm. So, obviously, you know, shenanigans ensue and they have to, uh, you know, she has to, now she has no choice but to be a pirate. Right. So, um... And But that's where they have changed as a result of the journey comes in. She's definitely changed. She went from being a uh, pampered governess's daughter to a swashbuckling pirate. 
So, um, I don't know if, like, I guess you could say the first Pirates of the Caribbean is probably one of the really, like, a really good story. Like, it was definitely, um, unique for its time. Like, the franchise did kind of start going downhill as it went, but I think the first movie is definitely a huge standout for being unique and probably, like, a really well-told pirate story for its time, for sure. Oh, no, absolutely. Uh, just a definite, a definite standout. Um... I know that obviously it feels like there's a running theme here with me with some of this because a lot of what I've been talking about is horror. But if we're being completely honest, horror tells some of the best stories sometimes. You know, a lot of it is like metaphors for trauma and mental health and shit. So, um, uh, and also like just like the plot twists and the stuff. Like, I would consider the first Saw movie to be like a really good story just because of the twist at the end. Uh huh. You know? Yeah. I wouldn't put any. Of the, I wouldn't put any of the others up there, but the first one definitely, you yeah. know, stands out among its its peers as having like probably one of the best, most unpredictable plot twists in movie history. Um, and just very smart, being a very smart movie done on a very low budget, um, and a very very smart storytelling in that one. But um, I don't want to spoil it. But last year we had Talk to Me, which. Yeah. I think is really good because the movie is a unique creative concept where it uses channeling, getting addicted to channeling ghosts as a metaphor for drug addiction. Um, Mm -hmm. And that definitely stands out. But um, The Last of Us, I feel like you can't talk about the greatest stories ever told without talking about The Last of Us. Um, Because this is truly one of the greatest stories ever told. It is... A story about a man who lost his daughter at the beginning of an apocalypse and has become a mercenary and has done unspeakable things to make a living in this new world. Mm -hmm. And then is tasked with transporting another girl who reminds him of his daughter from one place to another. And for him, it's just a job at first. But as time goes on, he starts getting attached to her and seeing her as like a new daughter. And the journey Mm -hmm. is about how they grow close together um as like a a surrogate family and um you know about the choice that he has to make at the end when he delivers her to where she's supposed to go and the things that he has to do and the secrets that he has to keep from her as a result in the end uh because of the the new father figure role that he has taken on you know um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, where that goes in the sequel in terms of him having to suffer the consequences of his actions and the what that story has to say about the cycle of revenge. Right. You know, the whole eye for an eye makes the whole world blind thing. And I think that um, the second game has a lot to say about how everyone is the hero of their own story, but potentially the villain of someone mm-hmm. else's, you know. And I think that's pretty pretty cool and deep because it's one of those things where the the villain is the villain to you because they've done something horrible to someone you care about. Mm-hmm. But when you see things from their perspective, it turns out that you were the villain to them. Oh shit! You know? Okay. And I think that's uh, I think that's pretty cool. I think that's a pretty cool uh, uh storytelling uh device. You don't get to see that a whole lot. There's not a whole lot oh, of yeah, stories absolutely. that paint sympathy for the villain. But also a lot of stories are very 
they paint villains as like cookie cutter cart caricatures, like cartoon villains that are like decidedly evil and have no room for redemption. Whereas mm-hmm. The Last of Us Part Two goes for more of a everyone kind of sucks equally and they're all just trying to survive thing. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. But okay, um, I mean, we've covered some great grounds of objectivity here too, for sure, and there are a lot of great stories, but like, for you personally, what are some of your favorite stories ever told and why, you know? Like, what so makes them me your personally, favorite? a lot of my favorite stories... Supernatural? Actually, yeah. I didn't that that one didn't even like cross my mind, yeah. but yeah, I I'd have to say yeah the 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 there's multiple times where both I mean talk about a series that is the right journey, yeah no know? they 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 definitely have there's Sam and Dean both ha- have to atone for something multiple times throughout the uh d- and dur- several several people died yeah <laughs> they paid price a lot uh, they sh- they sure do yeah no there's a lot of death in that show man yeah no you hit it right on the head with 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 this with this one yeah no, i i'd have to yeah i would say supernatural has had some like ups and downs for sure there's definitely some weak points throughout the whole show like some weaker seasons but overall yeah. I would say the the whole narrative in general is really well done and has a very satisfying ending. Yeah, absolutely. They could not have ended it there any more perfect. Ass loads of character development throughout that show. Hell like, yeah! And it's not like like you genuinely see, you know, like Sam and Dean are Sam and Dean throughout the show, but they change and grow as people so much even between episodes, not just seasons, but like some of the things they see and experience mm-hmm. really kind of like change who they are as people. Absolutely. And then you got characters like Jack that come in that really that mm-hmm. really yeah. that really shake yep. things up. Like who granted he wasn't he's Ed comes in closer to the end of the show so you don't get a lot of him but in the short amount of time you do see him he goes through a lot of character development he sure does he absolutely does so yeah i uh, i definitely have to agree with that i mentioned it earlier when we were talking about ted but seth mcfarland's the orville um i have to put okay. up here as a really great storytelling um for me personally for speaking subjective I think, like I said, there is a lot of social commentary in that show, mm-hmm. and it's very well done. I think one of the best examples is uh, there's a race of aliens known as the Mocklins in that show, and I think I think it's maybe in season two that they do this episode. But all of the the Mocklins are they're a, ex, like exclusively male species, basically, because mm-hmm. if any of them if any of them are born female, they're forced to go through a sex change to be male. So gotcha. it is exclusively a male species. So um, they have so one of the the characters Boris and his boyfriend they end up having a daughter, and Mocklin Law says that they have to go to their home planet to you know get her changed, but they actually fight for their right to keep her female. And, okay, there you go. Um, and they go through a whole court uh, court thing about it, and they put up a lot of solid arguments, and it's basically a metaphor for, like, um, 
gender identity stuff and people's right to choose and stuff like that. And um okay. like and it's like it's that. a very forward it's very forward thinking social commentary. But here's the other thing too I like about this show. You know, mild spoiler here, but they lose the court case and they're forced to give their daughter the change. Um Damn. so that she becomes their son. And it is disappointing, but it's one of the reasons I like the show so much because it's not afraid to give an episode an unhappy ending. Right. Like there are a lot of epi- episodes with happy endings, but this is a show that's not afraid to let the main characters lose sometimes. Right. And I think that's realistic. You can't win every fight, unfortunately. You just nope. can't. And it's one of those shows where there where sometimes they have to come to the realization that fuck we can't force our Earth views on all these other planets, unfortunately. You know, they have their own rules and shit, you know? They sure do. So, and it's, you know, some of them are really fucked up planets, but... Yeah. Um, But that's the thing is that, like... And it's difficult for Captain Ed Mercer, who's Seth MacFarlane's character, because their job is just to observe and report, but because of the kind of person he is, he wants to be an activist in every planet they visit and change them for the better. Right. You know? Um, and yeah, sometimes he, the characters learn some very harsh lessons this way. Uh, and that's one of the reasons I think it's such a great show because it it touches on that stuff in a very respectful way, Mm. but also in a very realistic, realistic way. Um, is one of the reasons and see, and now you understand why, you know, a show like that, seeing Seth MacFarlane be capable of that, Mm -hmm. why I think something like Ted is such a huge step down, Right. you know, yeah. In comparison, dude, just do yourself a favor. Go on Hulu, watch all three seasons of The Orville, and then you'll understand why, what I'm talking about. Like, as a Seth MacFarlane fan, you should definitely do yourself the huge favor of putting that higher on your list, for Fair. sure. Yeah, no, I need to... I need to... Um, uh, You know... I, a quick fire, by the way, a couple things that I think uh, the general public would consider some of the greatest stories ever told. And I, you know, don't dislike any of these things, but I'm not they're not all for me, but uh, but they are they do deserve the respect that they have um, in solidified history. But mm-hmm. I would say. Well, there is actually believe there's a movie from 1965 actually called "The Greatest Story Ever Told," based on the Bible. Um, but that's not what I'm talking about. Yeah, uh, but yeah, and that's not what I'm talking about because the uh, I'm not a religious person, so the Bible is not a fun story for no, me. No, definitely <laughs> um, not. Uh, but well, I don't think it's meant to be fun, anyways. No, but the okay. Um, but I would say, uh, people would probably consider things like The Godfather, um, Titanic. The Sound of Music? The Sound of Music, yeah, which I agree with. I've seen that, and that is a really good movie about standing up against Nazis. Mm -hmm. Um, on that same note, Schindler's List, the one with, um, with, uh, fuck, Liam Neeson about the guy going around, uh, uh, killing a list, uh, killing the guy going around assassinating Nazis during the World War II time. One, um, one would also argue goodwill hunting. Oh, God, yes. Actually, I, I that's not even an argument. That's just objectively one of the best <laughs> stories ever told, period. Yeah, no, it's a like, good there's, movie. there's no, no argument to be had there. That is a genuinely straw, like, 
yeah, that movie does a lot for stuff with like therapy mm-hmm. and God, the performances from Robin Williams and um uh, um shit Matt Damon um and Ben Affleck yeah yeah and Ben Affleck um yeah uh honestly though Robin Williams himself has been in a lot of movies that have really amazing stories and i don't know if that's just a coincidence or if it's just that his performances lend to them being such good stories because the writing has a lot to do with it too he didn't write the shit he just acts in it you know but you know coincidentally enough most of the movies he was in like uh that and um dead poet society and one hour photo are in patch adams yeah are just really good stories and patch adams fun fun fact is based on true events Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and a lot of famous lines too like dead poets society is where oh captain my captain came Mm -hmm. from um the shawshank redemption i think that deserves um uh, uh a spot on this list for sure the Stephen King story about the guy who escapes prison. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> For sure. I know you're familiar with that one, I'm assuming. Yeah. Vaguely. Um, And on that same note, I would say probably The Shining yep. belongs mm-hmm. up there a yep. little bit. Um, The Prestige. I have to agree with this. The Prestige. This was a movie with Christian Bale and um, uh, Hugh Jackman mm-hmm. uh, uh, about a couple of um, and it was a Christopher Nolan movie too by the way I think um, but this was a movie about uh, after a tragic accident two stage magicians in 1890s London engage in a battle to create the ultimate illusion while sacrificing everything they have to outwit each other. Okay. So it's basically a movie about two magicians trying to one up and outsmart each other and it has some of the smartest plot twists I have ever seen in a movie. It is so fucking good. Anyone who's never seen The Prestige stop listening now. Go watch the prestige then come back and then finish listening because that is oh my god um a hundred percent that is truly it's also got scarlett johansson michael kane uh rebecca hall it uh david bowie's even in this andy circus is in it um it was really fucking good um one of the best christian bale hugh jackman movies uh out there for sure um okay and it has some great, some amazing um, plot twists. Uh, I think some people would say maybe Dances with Wolves, the old Kevin Costner film. Um, uh, Braveheart, the old Mel Gibson film, probably fall under these. Call of the Wild. Yes, yes, Call of the Wild. Balto. I mean, if we're talking books, too, then, yeah, like, Call of the Wild, Balto, Where the Red Fern Grows, uh, Animal Farm, um, of, of Mice and Men. Scarlet Letter? Yeah. Yeah, oh, Scarlet Letter, I think that one's a little more divisive. I don't think as many people like that as history thinks they did. <laughs> um, That's fair. <laughs> uh, anything written by Jane Austen, though, uh, definitely uh, goes on there. Anything written by Mark Twain? Uh, like Tom, uh, mm-hmm. Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn. Yes, yes. Um, yeah. 
uh those things all all belong up there too i mean obviously you can't really talk about the greatest stories ever told without talking about some books because that's where most of these stories come from in the first place exactly um you know uh i would say um you know in in speaking of things based on books and fairy tales and storytelling i like that modern disney movies are starting to push towards the villain being more like things like family trauma and stuff instead of these like cliche comic book villains you know a really Um, good example of that is encanto exactly encanto i love that one for that reason um very very solid movie too uh luca was was pretty good too because that one didn't really have a traditional villain it was more about like the character dealing with their own insecurities instead you know mm-hmm. um so that's a pretty solid those are pretty solid ones too if we're talking like greatest stories ever told though i think only one disney movie really really falls under that and that's the lion king and i was going to say we can't talk about this without talking about the lion king yeah i think the lion king is probably the epitome of disney storytelling i think that was probably yeah objectively the best one that they have ever done in like in terms of storytelling like the top like the best story they've ever written um i have yeah i have to agree with that and it you know i mean fun fact though it is loosely based on hamlet <laughs> which if we're being, that I didn't know. If we're being honest, um, Shakespeare uh, was a really good storyteller. I mean, he was responsible for Hamlet, Macbeth, I think maybe Romeo and Juliet too. Um, yeah. So, I mean, those are some great stories, which I mean, when you think about it, a lot of the stories that we have these days, a lot of the storytelling that we have, all of it uh-huh. is in one way or another, loosely based off of stories that have already been told, or at least the formulas they brought to the table, you know? Right. In a way, you could argue that almost every rom-com, pretty much every rom-com, is a form of Romeo and Juliet, you know? Yeah. In a way, you know? Um, You could argue that pretty much every story of a, a family betrayal and, like, someone overthrowing an evil king is... Hamlet, you know, mm-hmm. um, just stuff like that. You know, they they all come from somewhere. You know, there's some kind yeah. of like blueprint, some kind of foundation in there, um, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess if I asked you, if I could ask you f- for like one example from movie, TV show, video game, and book. What would you say is the 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 best story you've ever experienced in each of these mediums? I'd have to say Harry Potter as far as books go. Okay. Movies? That's a tough one. That's a very, very... That's a, that's a tough one. So I'm going to have to... If I had to choose... Let's try to make it a little interesting, too, and try to go with movies that aren't based on books, unless they tell a better story than the book did. Okay. If I had to choose... Patch Adams. Okay. Would be, a mo- would be my movie in that category. It would, would, be my, would be my favorite story 
in the movie category. TV That's show, fair. hands down. Well, the well, so so there's there, there's reasoning behind that because Patch Adams is actually uh, what uh, inspired my dad to do what he does today. Right. Yeah. Patch Adams inspired my dad to be to get into the medical field. Uh, TV show, hands down, supernatural. Video game, I would have to say, even though there's like you can change the narrative based on your based on your choices until dawn okay that's an interesting choice i um what have to say well before i get to like my favorites in each one i do want to throw out a couple more examples that just kind of went through my mind i would have to <laughs> say um Firewatch is probably a really good example of a game with a great story because it's a short little four-hour basically walking simulator game. But in that game, you play as a guy who, you know, has um, gone through some hardships recently. His wife passed away. You know, he lost his dog and stuff. He's, He's just trying to get away from it all. And he becomes a ranger at a Firewatch tower in a forest. But... Mm -hmm. Um, the mystery of a missing hiker and a dead body that he comes across and he notices someone watching him from the distance. It starts to become this like intriguing story of this man with nothing going on, trying to fill the void in his life by inventing a mystery that doesn't exist. And, um, by misinterpreting coincidences and stuff and turning what is normal circumstances into a horror story in his own mind to like you know make his life exciting and you know the whole time you've got a partner that's in another firewatch tower you're talking to over a walkie-talkie and kind of getting close to her and it's a really good story um it's a really Mm -hmm. good story about like perception and human connection and loneliness and how sometimes our mind can create uh uh, a different perception than what is actually happening you know right um filling in the blanks i would say another example for me is probably final fantasy 10 is one of the best examples because in that game is got a very emotional uh story it's a very fish out of water situation Mm -hmm. where a guy is his whole world is destroyed by a giant monster and he gets teleported a thousand years into the future and he has to go on this journey with this um the summoner as she goes from temple to temple and prays to these entities to have the strength to defeat this giant monster that still exists a thousand years later and he being from the past and knowing nothing about these new ways is slowly having to like learn and acclimate to you know this to this uh this new life and it really is probably one of the best examples of the hero's journey i mentioned earlier because there's a lot mm-hmm. of there's a lot of changes there's growth there's sacrifice you know the hero pays a heavy price by the end it's really good absolutely um something i would definitely put up there too uh and uh yeah you just got some like um like there's a lot of games i like that have in movies and shows and stuff that have really good stories but i'm trying to be objective in this episode and really only focus on the ones that really go above and beyond with their storytelling yeah. i would say another example would probably be spec ops the line a third person shooter 
game where you are uh it's like uh you're an american soldier with uh some people invading i want to say like a war-torn iraq or something but basically spec ops spec ops the line is about the mental health issues that come as a side effect of war it deals with and brings awareness to the mental health issues that soldiers deal with um, it's one of those games that has choices too that change the ending. There are things you can do, and the thing I remember most vividly about this game is when you're shooting a bunch of white phosphorus at what you think is enemies, and then after the fact, when the dust is cleared, you realize that you just murdered a town of innocent civilians. Yes, and that has stuck with me ever since I played that game. <laughs> like that scene okay. in particular really stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you were explaining Spec Ops the line, and just the way it brings awareness to, like, PTSD and stuff like that, it it made me think of one of my all-time favorite movies. Okay. Brothers, with Tobey Maguire and Jake Gyllenhaal. I've yeah, talked about that's this. a good I've, story. I've talked about this on the pod before. And I'm going to talk about it now. It, it's it, it it really does it showcase there there's there's a, there's a point in time where it showcases what war can actually do to a soldier. You can come yep. back and not like you can go overseas and not and and just be perfectly normal. You experience something like. Toby Maguire's character did in Brothers, you come back a whole different person. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, there's a lot of movies that deal with some pretty heavy elements like that. There was a movie I watched um, uh, that, like, I was made to watch in like group therapy stuff when I was younger called Antoine Fisher. That was mm-hmm. all about like. Um, uh, someone being abused in a foster home, you know, yeah. that I thought was a really, um, it's a difficult watch, but it's a really good one. There's a movie called Extraordinary Measures with um, Brendan Fraser um, and uh, Harrison Ford. It came out in 2010, and it's about, um, it's uh, about a man on the corporate fast track with his beautiful wife and th- three children. And just as his career is taking off, he learns that his two youngest kids have a fatal disease. And he leaves his job and devotes himself to saving their lives, joining forces with Dr. Robert Stonehill, Harrison Ford, a brilliant but eccentric scientist. And together they battle the medical and corporate establishment racing against time for a cure. What movie is this? Extraordinary measures. I said that in the beginning. Okay. Yeah, and it came out in 2010. Really, really good uh, story. Very emotional. Um, How have I never seen this? I don't know, but I think you would like it. Um, the tagline was. It's inspired by a true story, by the way. It's another true story. Okay. Um, thing. The tagline was, "Don't hope for a miracle, make one." Okay. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It's definitely, you gotta go into that one with the right mindset, though, because it's definitely a tearjerker, you know? Okay. Um, 
Speaking of things you have to go into with the right mindset, I would consider the Martin Scorsese movie The Departed to be one of the best stories ever told with one of the most amazing plot twists, quite frankly, and a phenomenal cast that's got Leonardo DiCaprio, it's got um, uh, Jack Nicholson, um, it's got Matt Damon Mm -hmm. in it. Um, It came out in 2006... And, uh, like, I don't want to spoil the plot twists in it because they're so good, but basically it's a story about an undercover cop mm-hmm. who's infiltrating who's infiltrating a gang and trying to get more info on them, and there's, like, a whole lot of, like, betrayal and stuff, but basically Leonardo DiCaprio is a Boston cop. He goes undercover to infiltrate this organization uh, led by Frank Costello, who's Jack Nicholson, mm-hmm. and as he gains... As he gains the the mob leader's trust a career criminal named colin sullivan played by matt damon infiltrates the police department and reports on its activities to his syndicate bosses so it's literally a story where a cop goes undercover in a gang to spy on them while simultaneously a gang member goes undercover in the police department to spy on them and it leads to some extremely crazy plot twists and some standoffs and it is so fucking good that like one sounds of the, good one, too one of the greatest movies i've ever seen truly um you know another yeah, movie Jack that Nich- falls under that category yeah. that i really mark uh, Wahlberg is in it too and oh, and martin sheen mark yeah they're in it too okay uh four brothers yes Another Mark Wahlberg movie, Four Brothers, yes. was an amazing story. Absolutely, oh god, it was. what a tear, what a tearjerker when the one brother died, though. My mm-hmm. god, yeah. But yeah, that's the one about the the four foster brothers who come back when their foster mom passes away, and then end up getting uh, wrapped up in some gang activity while they're there and yep. have to take care of business. This is when yeah. their adoptive mother is gunned down in a store robbery. Four brothers decide to investigate the murder and find the killers themselves, but not all is what it seems. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And that Such one, a see, good Mark, movie. Mark Wahlberg, I want to say Terry Crews was in that one? Is one mm, of the brothers, is that right? No, Tyrese or, Gibson. Tyrese Gibson, that's right, that's right. Tyrese Gibson, yeah, yeah, the other eccentric, muscly black guy. Yes. For some reason, I get him and Terry Crews confused sometimes, but Tyrese Gibson was the one in Fast and Furious. Yes. Um... Yeah, I'm glad you reminded me of Four Brothers. Uh, was Paul Walker in that? No. no. No, he was not. But speaking of a really good story Paul Walker was in, here's an underrated one a lot of people never talked about. I think I talked about it maybe in our Hidden Gems episode. I'm not sure, but there's a movie with Paul Walker called Running Scared. Um, I think it I th- came out in like 2006. I think I remember you talking about that at some point. Yeah, it came out in 2006. Well, the best part of it is that um, there's a scene where he, like, brutally punishes a, a, uh, a couple that are both pedophiles, and it's, like, a very satisfying scene. Okay. Um, but it said, Mafia flunky Joey Gazelle, played by Paul Walker, is ordered to dispose of the guns that killed a pair of policemen. He hides them in his basement, where they are found by Oleg, the kid from next door, who uses one to shoot his brutal stepfather, a Russian mobster. The boy runs off, and Jesus. Joey pursues 
The boy runs off, and Joey pursues him into the criminal underworld, desperate to retrieve the incriminating weapon. Meanwhile, a corrupt detective is following Joey's trail with his own agenda. So basically, he is... Um, so ba basically, he is a member of a gang that was ordered to dispose of some incriminating evidence, guns that were used to kill policemen. A kid next door steals one of the guns, murders his stepfather with it, and then takes off. So he's chasing after the kid to get the gun back, while simultaneously he's being chased by a, a corrupt detective. It's good. <laughs> it it's sounds a, good. It's like a... It's like a violent adult version of uh, Catch Me If You Can, you know? Okay. Kind of like that, you know? Um, like, I'm chasing you while someone's chasing me kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of like, you know what that kind of thing always reminds me of is the old Tom and Jerry cartoons where Tom would be chasing, <laughs> chasing Jerry, but then Spike would be chasing Tom and all three of them are just going after each other. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? That's what it reminds me of, that kind of thing. Um, okay. But, uh, okay. Did you say video game? Yeah, un uh, until dawn. That's right. Okay. So for me, um, I guess video game is a tough choice, but I think I'd probably have to go with Soma just because all that shit I said earlier for, right. for storytelling. It's not my favorite game of all time. That's probably Final Fantasy X. Um, but soma it, for storytelling like some of the greatest storytelling that one definitely stands out to me in that department okay. um just because no, no other game or or movie or anything in the history of ever has kept me awake at night thinking about it like that one did <laughs> fair enough like that stuck with me <laughs> you know um so yeah, that, that one just brings a lot of difficult questions to the table that really make you think. It is the kind of game I think should be dissected in professional philosophy classes. Like, if you take philosophy as a college major, you should be made to play or watch that game and dissect its narrative. Yeah. Um, I think. I think that's very important. Um, I would say for TV shows... You know, we didn't talk about it, but I've mentioned it before. I'm going to say Yellow Jackets has okay. probably got one of the best stories in a TV show. One of my favorite stories, for sure. Um, like, I'm I'm super... I haven't been this invested in a TV show in a long time. Like, the second season's over, and I can't wait to see what happens next. Like, Fair enough. I've been inv invested in a lot of shows, but that's one that, like... Uh, like, I await the next episode with bated breath. Like, it is, um, I haven't been that invested in a show since, like, the early time. Like, remember in The Walking Dead when they ended on a huge cliffhanger and they were like, who's Negan gonna kill? Who's he gonna kill? You know? Like, I had that, I had, I was super invested in that. This is probably the most invested I've been in any TV show since then. Damn. You know? And I would say I'm super invested in My Hero Academia too. Like that one keeps me going, but not like Yellow Jackets. There's a, <laughs> there's just something about that show, man, and the way that the story is told that just right. has me like has me absolutely hooked. Like it's just so good, so good. Fair enough. Probably one of the best TV shows ever made, quite frankly. <laughs> um, and. Uh, um, oh, did you mention, oh yeah, you said book, you said Harry Potter, right? Yeah. Um, books for me, Lord of the Rings. That's an easy one. Okay. Um, hands down, uh, 
they were I, I I read those books I think before I watched the movies actually so see um, I didn't even know the books were a thing all I all I remember seeing was an advertisement from Burger King about something about Lord of the Rings <laughs> and next thing I know I'm seeing a movie trailer on the TV yep J.R.R. Tolkien he was good friends with C.S. Lewis writer of Narnia mm-hmm. um, that was another series so. that was really good uh, the Chronicles of Narnia mm-hmm. um, let's see let's see so I did game movie TV show or game TV show book now movie I gotta choose uh, a movie which is <laughs> probably the hardest one yeah that's honestly, how it was because there's so many um yeah, and it's hard for me in particular to uh, pinpoint any one specific thing that stands out to me in movies as like the uh, my my favorite for story reasons because I I like a lot of movies for varying reasons. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, cards on the table and all that. I would have to say Inception. Okay. I, I we didn't talk about it. No, but we didn't. You, there's a lot of there's a lot of fucking difficult. You there's know, there's a what? lot going on in that movie. He, there is, yeah. Um, you know, actually, I'm kind of teetering between Inception and The Green Mile. Actually, oh. I make. I think I've mentioned the Green Mile before. That was the one about yeah. the prisoner that has the power, the power to cure people, and he's like, he's falsely in prison, being blamed for the death of these two girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, a lot of good emotional stuff in that one. A great performance by Tom Hanks too. Yeah. Um, speaking of great performances by Tom Hanks, I think Forrest Gump deserves a mention in this episode. Absolutely, as being one of the best stories ever told. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. I don't think we we can. You know, not mention that. Um, I mean, there's only so much time and so many things to talk about. Yeah. So, you know, you get a, you know, back to, you know, we could have been here forever talking about things like Terminator, Back to the Future, Sweeney Todd, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the first Avatar, uh, which a lot of people may not agree with that, but I think it was revolutionary for its time. Um, you know, yeah. uh, Stuff like that. The original story of Sleepy Hollow, not the movie, but yeah. um, the butterfly effect. The butterfly effect. The uh, the uh, 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 fuck. What's his name? Um, Ashton Kutcher. The, yeah, yeah. The guy who did Punk, Ashton Kutcher. That was a good movie. Um, good story on that one because that was one where he like um, he learns he has the ability to rewind time, and that is the one of the first examples I've seen of a time travel paradox where. You know the whole chicken and the egg scenario, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, mm-hmm. in movies like in movies like this, the answer is yes. <laughs> you know, okay, um, because the whole idea of a paradox is that everything happens the way it does because it always had to happen that way, and that always right. happens with time travel shit. So, as a kid, he had a lot of blackouts, and he remembers 
writing in his journal about these blackouts, but as adult adult, he has no memory of what happened during these blackouts. Well, as an adult, right. he finds out that reading these journal entries, he has the ability to travel back in time to these moments. And so he finds out the reason that he blacked out during these moments as a kid is because he was being occupied by his future self in those moments. It, mm-hmm. He was his his future self traveling back in time was in the driver's seat. So the version of him that was back then was blacking out and not remembering anything. But, you know, you have to say, OK, well, then why did he have the blackouts to begin with if those happened before he time traveled? Well, the blackouts right. happened because because he always time traveled. The two things coexist. The the pre- the past and the future exist on a parallel line where the, it always happened. You know, it just always was that mm-hmm. way. And that's one of those things that you have to learn to kind of just accept when it comes to time travel. Um, right. You know, it's called a paradox. And I love paradoxes. And that's why I like some time travel shit. I don't like when it's used as a lady, a lazy way to write yourself out of a corner or bring characters back to life that died or whatever. But I do like when the story starts off that way and they do creative stuff with it like that, the butterfly effect is probably a prime example of one of the most creative versions of time travel I've ever seen. Um, that, that understands the idea of a paradox and does it right. You know? Yeah. Um, do you think the dark Knight counts here because of Heath Ledger's performance or do you think it yes. needs more than, more than just no, one good the performance? Biased, biased. Yes. I am. I'm going to be biased here and I'm going to say Yes. <laughs> okay fair enough because <laughs> Heath Ledger's Joker is my favorite Joker fair enough fair enough back when Zack Snyder was still good he did some great movies too like Sin City and 300 um mm-hmm. that I don't I don't know if they're part of the greatest stories ever told but I do think they deserve uh, a mention notice yeah. that we didn't talk about any like superhero stuff or anything like that and I think it's because you know everyone pretty much agrees that like Superhero stories are very formulaic, so it's hard to consider them under the greatest stories ever told. But I do think that there are a couple of standouts and unique examples that do deserve some recognition. Maybe not the greatest stories ever told, but something like Guardians 3, for example, deserves recognition for being uh, going above and beyond rather than just being a traditional superhero movie. That one was basically a big PSA for animal abuse. Yeah. Um, stuff like that. But most superhero movies are very formulaic, you know, punchy, punchy, kicky, kicky, you know, uh, (laughs) two evenly, evenly powered characters fighting each other at the end. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, but, um, yeah, we, we covered a lot here. So I think, what did I say for movies? Inception. It was between that and the Green Mile. I think I'm going to go with Inception, though, because I love the whole mind-bending aspect of that movie. I love the whole concept of, you know, uh, jumping inside someone's dreams and, you know, like literally the name of the movie, trying to incept an idea into their head. Um, yeah. but also the fact that just cause you're in someone's dream doesn't mean you're safe. Like you, you know, it's got like the whole Freddy Krueger thing where you can die in real life or even fall into a coma if you're killed in the dream and exactly. stuff like that. And it's got some great plot twists and it has an open ended ending that like kind of hints towards what, you know, what it might be, but also kind of leaves it up to you to interpret, you know, lets you do some of the work and kind of write your own ending. And I am a fan of that when it's done right. And I think it was done right in that movie. Sometimes I think it's lazy. Sometimes I think they just couldn't write an ending and they basically said, eh, make your own ending, you know? But in this case, in this case, I think it has an actual ending. It just leaves Mm -hmm. 
Uh, it just leaves you on a little bit of a what if to give you something to chew on on the way home from the movie theater, you know? Right. Um, and that that I really liked about that one. So, yeah, that one's definitely going on my favorite, uh, I think, favorite movie story. So Okay. Um, I wouldn't say it's my favorite movie of all time, but it's definitely probably, like, at least right now, being, you know, put on the spot and not having a whole lot of time to think about it, I would call <laughs> it my favorite movie story. Okay. Um, so, yeah. But, okay. I feel like we covered a lot of ground there. We talked about yeah, some great did. stuff with a lot of stories. And, like, every time we do an episode like this, there's obviously a lot of shit that we missed out on. Like, I forgot to mention Talk to Me in our 2023 year in review, but that's why mm -hmm. I brought it up in this one. You know, because there's so much stuff and we only have so much time to talk about it some things are gonna slip through the cracks some things are gonna fly under the radar and that is why i always encourage our audience to write in or leave a comment on the video Absolutely. you know let, you know because if there's something we forgot tell us what we forgot you know right let us know what falls in these categories for you so um yeah, so, you know, feel free to write in MrOversoul53 at gmail.com, M-R-O-V-E-R-S-O-U-L-5-3 at gmail.com, or leave a comment on the YouTube video if you're watching this on YouTube, and remember to click that like button as well. But, you know, it, it, I know most of you are listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, so that's fine. Um, but also, you can follow me on the old Twitter, what it used to be, uh, you know, at Oversoul53. I'm over there, too, so, you know, send me a, a DM or what have you. Yeah, and you can find me at the website formerly known as Twitter, at The Vaping Fiend, uh, TikTok, d.vaping.fiend, uh, and Twitch, at The Vaping Fiend. Yes. And, uh, like always, thank you all so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, have yourself... A beautiful rest of the week, and we'll catch you in the next one. Bye for mm. now. Bye.